tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie morning. Welcome along to Tip Today. 1800 938 007. That's our free phone number. It won't cost you anything to make a call. Emma is producing today. Coming up on the show this morning, plans to change road speed limits. People uh, give their views on the rather controversial uh, Gilligan documentary on Virgin. Uh, reaction to one of our Agony Aunt emails. Ali is out and about for us uh, today. She's at Tanakh and Raleigh Resort Centre in Tipperary Town, ahead of their big film uh, premiere. The Sergeant Margaret Kelly has the details about crime and detection around the county. We have Hidden Histories with uh, Dr Connor Reedy. And we have Gardening with Alton Nesbitt. So as ever, we urge you, if you have a gardening query, will you log it with us, please? 83 311 for your text or WhatsApp. And, of course, you can email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Let's have a look at some of the front pages of the newspapers today. Uh, The Irish Independent, speed limits to be slashed on roads is their banner headline. Speed limits are set to be cut on many roads as authorities seek to reduce the number of deaths and serious injuries. We'll be chatting about that in just a little while, to the Irish Times. And uh, their lead story, the state's uh, budgetary watchdog, has warned that the government risked uh, undermining its credibility and repeating Ireland's past mistakes uh, if it pressed ahead with plans to breach its own spending rules each year until 2026. Let's have a look at the Irish Daily Mail. Their banner headline is Tensions Rise Over Strategy to House Refugees. And that's an interesting story. Tensions have flared among uh, councillors who voted against dozens of modular homes for over 200 uh, Ukrainians, putting the government's uh, refugee strategy under renewed pressure. Now it comes as hundreds of refugees are set to move into tents at the electric picnic site in uh, County Leash after being forced to leave student accommodation. And indeed, organisers of the National Ploughing Championships confirmed yesterday that they were approached by the government to provide tented accommodation for uh, Ukrainians as well. Uh, To the Irish Examiner, and again, their lead story on speed limits across uh, national, local and arterial roads are to be cut significantly under a major overhaul aimed at addressing a spike in accidents and fatalities. And also on the Examiner today, uh, Garda efforts to seek the uh, deportation of uh, Keenahan cartel bosses from Dubai are expected uh, to begin with a test case involving a senior gang lieutenant. Now that's according as I say to the Irish Examiner today and uh, the Garda Commissioner Drew Harris travelled to the United Arab Emirates and spent Monday and yesterday meeting government officials and uh, the Dubai uh, Chief of Police to try and secure their cooperation on that. So let's look at what's making headlines. If you want to comment on any of that, 83 Now, as I say, the big story today, speed limits are set to be cut on a significant number of roads as authorities seek to reduce the number of deaths and serious injuries. Limits will be lowered to 80k on national uh, secondary roads, 60k on local and rural roads and 30k in town centres and housing estates as part of a major 
government overhaul. Now, we spoke to independent uh, TD Michael Healy Ray on the show this week, and he said that we need to have a wider approach to road safety. Here's just a little of what he said to us on Monday. Look at the other issues. Think about shooting deer. Think about keeping water off our roads. Think about cutting the hedges. Do the practical other things that need to be done. But for God's sake, stop concentrating on penalising drivers. Start thinking about educating young drivers. Look at it with a more broad-minded vision. Think about uh, the bigger picture. If the politicians were so right, and if the people who are coming out this morning jumping up and down, including the Taoiseach, saying, oh, more penalty points, more speed bends, more enforcement, if they were right all along, why are the road uh, debts increasing year on year? Because they're not looking at other issues. That's uh, Deputy Michael Healy Ray speaking to me on a Monday last. One of our listeners, Tony, joins me now. Good morning to you, Tony. Good morning, Fran. Good to talk to you today, Tony. I have a feeling you might agree partially, at least, with Michael Healy Ray. I, I would uh, totally endorse what he's saying about driver education. <clears throat> I think we're, we're focusing, we have uh, some politicians seem to have the answer to everything, uh, all, uh, all these recent horrific incidents, uh, by deducing that they're all due to in a, a speed. And I think it's very, very wrong of any politician to come along and, and talk like that before, while these, as we might say, are still subdued. They're still being in cases. And my education, I believe, is the key to all of this. Uh, the, the, the blanket um, realisation by some of these politicians that, that speed is, is, is the cause of all these is wrong. It's inappropriate speed. And the only way, if a, a speed limit is 30 and somebody comes in doing 30 and doesn't slow their speed at a corner, they are still going to have a problem. This is one of the basic things that we need is education to get people to modify their speed appropriate to the road and weather conditions. That's a very good point. So even if you have a 30 mile an hour uh, speed limit or a 30k speed limit, uh, Tony, you're saying to me in some cases that even mightn't be appropriate. You have to look at the road, you have to look at the circumstances. Exactly, exactly. This this is one of the tenets of... of, uh, as a, a driving instructor, these are one of the things we are trying to get people to do. Look ahead, modify your speed, adjust your speed. And that depends not only on the road and the, if there's a bend coming up, Newton's laws of motion dictate how you can go around a corner. It's as simple as that. And you have to modify your speed. And unless we can teach people to look further ahead and adjust their speed accordingly, they will not be, you physically won't be able to, to go around the corner. And it's as simple as that. You need to be able to modify your speed according to the conditions. And that's not just uh, the road conditions, it's also the weather conditions. And when you hear that uh, Minister McEntee is um, giving an additional 1.2 million euro towards a 20% increase in the use of those go safe speed detection uh, vans on Irish roads, what, what do you make of that, for instance? Well, to me, that is just a knee-jerk reaction uh, to kind of placate the public. Uh, for the simple reason, I think that 1.2 million would be far better off spent in an education campaign for, for drivers. And I'm not just saying younger drivers. I'm saying for all drivers. Mm. Many, many years ago, I'm sure you remember, Flan, we, Flan, we had um, Michelangelo out on the road with his yellow box junction. Mm. Mm. And people knew what they were. When was the last time we'd seen a proper... Uh, campaign in the national media 
to educate people in relation to with new signs. I'm not sure if you're aware of the new maximum 80 kilometer an hour sign. Things like this. That, that people just don't know about because nobody is telling the public these things. We need to educate the public, and this is an ongoing thing. Currently, you pass your test at maybe 18, 20 years of age. You pass your Class B licence. If you don't go for anything else, up until the age of about 70, and you don't have to do anything else. You're automatically entitled to renew that. We need to have continuing, as you might say, almost like CPC that professional truck drivers and bus drivers have mm. to go through. Mm. And need the insurance companies to come on board here. Surely it's in their interest to make sure that we're safe for drivers. But, you know, you go and do a little bit of a course, and it, it, this wouldn't be, uh, it, this isn't a pass or a fail course. This is a course to increase your skills, increase your awareness, because I believe it's awareness of what's around uh, the driver is the problem in a lot of these cases. The drivers aren't aware of what might be around the corner. And naturally, if they can't see it, but you can you can react beforehand so that you are prepared for what's in front of you. Yeah, and I mean, I wonder about some of these go-safe uh, speed detection units anyway, because I see them in places that I, I would think would be completely pointless. I mean, I'm thinking of the one near Clarehan there. There's one on the Waterford Road in Clonmel. I, I, I just think that that's completely pointless, to be honest. But, you know... I, 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 I would totally agree with you, and, and they say that they're being put a go-safe is a nice little name for them. Yes, it's a catchy phrase. Uh, how safe, you know, how many incidents have occurred in the, the areas where those vans are detecting speed? I, I think you'll probably find the, that the, the, these are safe areas, because they have to be safe areas to pull in. You, know, you, you can't really have them in, in areas that are on, on severe bends, things like that. And I think driver education is the key, and the younger we can start, the better. Yeah, it's this 1.2 million was invested in in in, in even I I know um, there was a, a bit of an incentive a few years ago where they had a kind of a touring show taken around um, to schools and things. Yeah, that trying to get people. Why not invest in that? That, that was fantastic. We we were actually involved uh, with that uh, at. Uh, uh, a couple of uh, locations as well. I, I thought that was fantastic and they brought along people who were involved in serious accidents and it was life-changing for them and they were able to tell their their stories, Tony, and that, that was fantastic. Exactly. This is education and yes. this is what we need, not penalise not penalize the people who are just going about their everyday lives. I, I, I think it's, it's a waste of, of, of money and a waste of resources. Yeah, it's interesting. And, uh, you know, the increase in the number of penalty points as well for motorists. Uh, um, how, how do you feel about that? Because, again, Michael Healy-Ray was saying, you know, you're, you're better off to look at other aspects of road safety. We, we have to widen the, the scope of this. Uh, any, any incident on a road, any, any uh, thing like this, any collision, is a terrible incident for those involved. No matter what kind of a, um, an accident, or uh, that's not really the term to be using, but it, it's um, if we can reduce these through education, I think we need to start at the very beginning. We need to try and get people to concentrate a bit more, to look further ahead, to 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 rework the old phrase: expect the un- expect the unexpected, because that is basically what you have to do all the time, and it's a hundred percent of the time. To, to expect something that you don't. Something can jump out in front of you. I heard him talking about deer and this yes, sort of thing. Yeah. But we, we, 
if a deer jumps out in front of you, you, you can't blame the deer. They're a natural phenomenon and, and they're going to be there anyway. But we, we have to be prepared to do something. And, and uh, it's, it's education is going to do that. And as well as that, we need to bring our driving test up to um, a modern standard. Basically, it's, it's, it was introduced in 1964. And it basically hasn't changed much since. We're still reversing around the corner. What's mm. that about? Who does that? I, I could never understand it. And really what troubles me is that you can get your driving test without ever having driven on a motorway and then automatically you're entitled to drive on a motorway. Even worse, on your own, yeah, Fran, on yeah. your own, supposedly never having been on one before. And we all know test centres that don't have access to a motorway. Uh, you know, the, there's huge problems there that I think need to be looked at before we start doing Now, I, I see a lot of housing estates. It's already 30 kilometres an hour in, in, the, in the housing estates in lots of areas. Yes, no problem with that whatsoever. You know, people, people generally, it, it's just moving around them. They're not trying to get anywhere at any, going to work, things like that. They're just moving around the house and say, 30 kilometres an hour. Yes, I have no problem with that whatsoever. Because you will have children out, especially in the yeah. summer. Nice weather, they'll be out playing, cycling, things like that. Yes, no problem with that whatsoever. But to, to, to have a knee-jerk reaction and to believe that doing this, in, for the vast majority of cases, in areas that there haven't been accidents, uh, it, it's not going to cure anything. And I'd love your opinion on National Slowdown Day with your experience, Tony. What, what do you make of that? Um, a day where there's a complete emphasis on slowing people down. How, how do you feel about that? I suppose if we can raise awareness of, of people's speed, yes, it's a good thing. But does it really do any good? We'll be careful today because there's extra checkpoints out. Tomorrow we are back to normal. Mm. I can't really see it being helping a whole lot. I can't see it helping a whole lot. Um, I think we need to differentiate between speed and inappropriate speed, and 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 they are very very different. Uh, and yeah. you know, 120 on 120 kilometres an hour on a motorway. By and large, it's grand, yeah. except when you have bad weather and things like that. And we know there's a particular stretch of, of, of the road outside Nina can get very nasty when there's, when there's weather conditions sure, yeah. prevailing there. Uh, you need to be able to adjust your speed. And it's you do, I, I, that I remember I, Superintendent Eddie Golden saying to me many years ago that, you know, just because you see a, 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 a speed limit on a sign, it's not a target. <laughs> that's, that's, it. that's it, exactly. Yeah, it it yeah. is not a target. Yeah, uh, and, and then again, we have our new the road safety authority in their wisdom have a road a road sign, which is the new maximum eighty kilometer an hour. Now I've only seen one, and that was up in County Leitrim, and there was grass growing up the middle of the road. Now in the rest of Europe, that sign it's the five diagonal lines. It means the end of a current speed limit yes. or the previous speed limit. But here it apparently now means the the um, maximum eighty kilometer an hour speed limit. But the public don't seem to know this because there has been no um, no time or resources uh, put into disseminating this information. And I think we need to try and get people, this 1.2 million that uh, the Minister for Justice, and even again, the Minister for Justice is now taking on the mantle of road safety. That, to me, doesn't sound right. Mm. Um, it, it, it's just it, it, it smacks of the big stick approach to again to this sort of thing. But yeah, maybe well, the, the Minister of State Jack Chambers is involved as well, of course. So yeah, 
Mm. Yeah, he is, of course, and he made a very valid point. Pity he wouldn't answer his emails. I, I did email him there recently in relation. He wanted to, uh, to. He was talking about the changes to the driving test, mm. which I totally agree with him. I think it badly needs to be to be brought into the twenty first century. Uh, and and if if it's a little bit harder, yes, we've got to try and do something to to make mm. our roads safer. And if that means making the driving test a little bit harder, but harder doesn't necessarily mean harder to pass. Our pass rates are abysmal, and we have to look at why that is as well. If we applied the same pass rates to the leaving cert, there'd be public outcry. Right, but you're, you're talking about how appropriate the actual test is itself, Tony. Is that is that fair to you? Yes. yes. Yes, okay. Yes, yes. I, I, I would say it is outdated, outmoded, and urgently needs. And, and Jack Chambers did come up, he, he was talking about this back in June. Yes. Uh, about changes to the driving test. And I think we need to do that. We need to look at that. And I'm not why, why are we so here. slow, Tony? I mean, you, you know, you and I would have spoken about this before, and this conversation has been going on for years, it, you know. For years, yes. And uh, why are we so slow? I presume because it'll cost money and it doesn't, I suppose, there isn't a financial benefit in it to be seen immediately. Yeah. I guess it wouldn't surprise you, I'm just looking at the screens in front of me here, Tony, it wouldn't surprise you, I guess, to know that most of our listeners saying, you know, put the resources into the Gardaí, not into these Go Safe fans and stuff. You know, put more resources into the Gardaí. Well, yes, that is that is another point. Again, that's law enforcement. The, the big problem is, as a, as a former Garda, I can tell you, you can't stand out on a bad corner and do a speed checkpoint because it's not safe to do so. And again, most, when you see a guard at a speed checkpoint, they're in areas where it's safe to do it. Yes. And it's not on a bad corner where there could be um, a collision. So you would have to look at that aspect of things as well. I think we need education is the key to this. We have to start educating our young people, making them aware, and not only our young people, but re-educate some of our people who've been driving for many years. We have seen an exponential change in roads and vehicles in the last mm. 40 years. Yeah. I, I, I did my, my driving test in 1976. Mm. Things have changed dramatically since then. We need to bring people back up to a standard and, and keep them up to date with what's happening. Education is the key here, not just for, for young drivers starting off, but for everybody. Of course. And, well, and, well I, I, I got my licence in 79 as a freebie. Do you remember that time when they, the, uh, the, the yes, backlog it, it, was I think there? It, yeah. I think it was it if you were on your third or subsequent uh, and, and yeah. you applied for your driving test, you were given one. You were given one. And I think thousands and thousands of people would have benefited from that. But it means that many of us never did a proper car test, it, it, I suppose. You know. Exactly. But here is an opportunity to have something, maybe every 10 years, to have a little refresher course. Mm. And it's something that, that I have been working on with our local men's shed, is, is, is talking about doing mm. something where you bring people in and, you know, okay, this is, this is a little thing here, yes. we'll have a little chat, I have a few slides to show you. If any of us did our test, I mean, how many how many roundabouts did we have in the seventies? Oh, should we? We, did, we didn't have any, and we certainly didn't have mm -hmm. motorways. But I think the way no. to do the refresher course idea, Tony, would be give a benefit, whether it's you know five percent off your insurance. Or... Well, this is why I'm this is why yeah. I'm saying that we need to bring the insurance companies on board with this as well. Yes. But again, there doesn't seem to be a joined up thinking to get the stakeholders involved in this to sit down and talk. Certainly, the road safety authority. 
um, will not uh, engage with the instructors in a, from from what I can see, and having been in contact with them recently, it's very hard for the, for us to convey what we're finding to them. Mm. I, I, I'd love your opinion, and again, a couple of listeners bringing this up, so I'd like your opinion on this. Um, they're basically saying that the standard of driving in Ireland is appalling. And I'm wondering, have you the info on other countries? I mean, being abroad, for instance, Tony, are, are we any worse? Are we any better? How, how are we here? I, I couldn't comment on that. I just don't know because I've never really looked at it. Yeah. Um, for, for, from trying to keep our, our own roads in Ireland safe, I certainly haven't spent any time looking at I have looked at, at, at the driving test in other countries, and yeah. ours is pretty abysmal in relation to this it. Is it is indeed. Wow. Yeah. It is. In relation, certainly in relation to the, the vast majority of the EU countries, um, our 12 lessons is way, way... In fact, I think it's probably at the bottom of the scale. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to, to, to suggest that um, lessons have to be... Uh, you know, that, that, that this is going to cost people extra money. And I'm very conscious of the cost of, of people trying to get a license, because it is. It's a life skill. And, um, but I know in certain... You, you're talking 25, 30 lessons. Wow, so we really are way, way behind today. Can I ask you something just just finally, if I could, Tony, because a good few people in various conversations I've heard over the last while uh, has brought this up, and there's a particular friend of mine who was absolute about this, making the point that since COVID, since we went back on the roads, that things really have deteriorated considerably. W- would you see anything in that? I can't say. I think they were always poor. Yeah. And I, I think the perception that, uh, that things have got worse is wrong. Maybe we're suddenly seen from uh, very low traffic levels to higher levels, so we are going to see more uh, of the bad driving. That's just endemic, I think. Yes. We, 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 have, a, we have a problem insofar as that um, a lot of bad driving is because of lack of training. And, uh, and I'm not just... We have a lot of young drivers, and I've seen them over the last couple of years, they're very good drivers, and they're passing their test. Mm. They're getting the practice in. But we have a lot of drivers maybe in their 50s, their 60s, their 70s, and as you well know, some of them who never did a test. Mm. And these are a problem. And we need to bring these people on board and, and sit them down and say, you know, what, how can we help you? Can we bring you up on a little bit of a refresher course to try and give you a few criteria here? that might make it safer for you and for everybody but else. Sure, I, I don't have to tell you, Tony. All you have to do is look at the way people behave on roundabouts to realise that we have little yeah. or no knowledge of how to use them properly. That is correct. We, the, the, the use of roundabouts is, is, is unbelievably bad, I think, is the only word I can use. But again, how do we cure it? I think it's education. Mm. Why not spend that £1.2 million having um, a, a programme there trying to, to, to educate the people. How do we do it? Through the media, through yourselves, through television, through the press. These are things that just don't seem to be um, factored in at all. Yes, 
the penalty point system and the speed detection van where there's a fine and money coming into central coffers. This seems to be the answer for everything, and I don't agree with it. I don't think it's going to, It hasn't done it in the past. What do they think it's going to do in the future? All right, Tony, really good to talk to you today. You made some excellent points. So thanks so much for your time, Tony. Thank you. Thank you, friend. Thank you. Bye-bye Cheers, to bye-bye. you now. How do you feel about that? 1800-938-007. Now, it's just important to point out that what we're chatting about this morning is the general issues around speed and road safety with current numbers and stuff. We're not making reference to any of the recent tragedies in the county whatsoever because, of course, investigations are still in place there. So we're talking about the general stats here on uh, road safety and uh, particularly uh, hearing today that those speed limits are set to be cut uh, on a significant number of roads as authorities are seeking to reduce the uh, number of serious injuries on our roads and uh, deaths, of course. We'll take a break back with more in just a moment. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Now there's been a huge response, absolutely huge response to my chat there with uh, Tony and it appears that uh, most people believe that that investment of 1.2 million euro into the GoSafe speed detection uh, vans um, is inappropriate and is a knee-jerk reaction to uh, the situation. That's generally what we're hearing. Uh, B is in cash and says this is a knee-jerk populist uh, decision about reducing speed limits. Incorrect driving is the problem. Education is key and that's the point that uh, Tony has been making there, and God knows he's plenty of experience where all of this is concerned. Good morning, friend. With all of the technology we have, surely phones can be made to only work inside a car or vehicle on emergency numbers or only when the engine is turned off. I see one in four drivers on the phone. You can't teach stupid, says uh, Alan. Um, Okay, lots more coming in where this is concerned. And um, let me just bring you some more. The speed limit we have will be fine if people stuck to it, says one person in higher case. Um, Frank was on to say, reducing the speed limit on minor roads is a waste of time. You can't put speed cameras on these roads as they're too narrow. It would be better if they allowed councils and farmers to trim the verges and uh, to make the roads wider instead of narrower. Um, minor roads uh, are where a lot of the accidents are happening and that's uh, for sure um, Marisa was on to say Fran, reducing speed limits is not the answer the roads are shocking with potholes and overgrown side roads signage covered over stop signs taken down and not replaced and I would go along with that um, why not police the roads with unmarked cars and uh, just one more for now the standard of driving is really poor in Ireland so it doesn't matter about uh, speed change. Uh, phone use in car and roads, uh, standards are very poor. Um, OK, it goes on to say the go-safe increase is a money racket, making a fortune for the owners of that company. And why not put fixed cameras on accident black spots instead? And it goes on and on so much more on uh, on that issue. Now, as the cost of living continues to surge, one of our listeners, Noel, was in touch about the rising cost of motor insurance, and he joins me now. Noel, good morning to you. Good morning, friends, and thanks very much for having me. You're very welcome indeed. Noel, will you tell me about what you're paying in insurance? Well, there this year, um, as as 
I won't mention the world on, on what has happened with me, but I, I was getting a very cheap insurance for the last four years. And because I had a slight mishap, should I say, uh, my insurance went to 2,437 2, euros. Wow. Uh, it jumped from fifteen up to fifteen hundred. Now, my question I asked the insurance company: How can you justify that? Right. The exact reply I got was: Oh, that's what's coming up in the system. So there's some sort of a, an algorithm there that's uh, coming up with that price, and and yes. it, was that negotiable with them? No, 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 that was not negotiable. I'd give out five hundred and forty euros of a deposit. I had to wait. That was on the 11th of August. I paid that. It went on nearly a month. Got no disc in the post. Rang four times. They said, oh, your old rage was on that disc. Uh, then they said, oh, it was sent out. On the, then another person, I rang again in about half an hour later. They said, oh, the insurance company has it sent out since the 22nd. The 22nd went on to the 2nd of September. I got no disc. Now, it was only yesterday I took... I, I actually just took the grip and I said to myself, that's it, cancelled the whole lot, and I and I went to an insurance company which could give me my insurance for 980 euros. So what? it dropped, it dropped for me straight away once I once I, I went over to them. That's incredible. So, so it went from what, 2000? It was 575 okay. for three years in a row for me. Yeah. Then when I had a little bit of a mishap, Okay. It went to 2,437 euros. Yeah. That was nearly 210 euro a month paying it. Wow. On, on, on instalments. And then you changed company. I changed companies yesterday. Mm-hmm. And I got it for 980 euros. And I presume, all they're taking into account, as you describe it, your little mishap. Yes, my little <laughs> mishap and whatever penalty points I got and stuff like that, still... I save fifteen hundred euros. Like what's what's wrong is the insurance companies are given no flexibility whatsoever, Fred. It's yeah. only what's on the system. That's it. End off. Now I have to say, my own premium has gone up a little, about forty, fifty euro every year for the past few years, and still I'm reading that motor insurance premiums fell by five percent in the first half of last year. Um, well, we're friendly. Is the question I, you I, see, I don't know. I don't know, yeah. but that's that's what they're telling me from the statistics. Yeah, like it's, it's just like your. Say, I'll go to another topic. Your electricity, right? They say electricity will drop, right? Mm. But where's it dropping? It's not dropping into the customer's pockets. The customer's not getting this. Yeah, and, and and I mean, according to the central bank data, for example, yeah. the average premium for motor cover has fallen nineteen percent from a peak in late twenty seventeen. So, yeah. so again, you you're not seeing that now. I know that no. in your case there was an incident as well, but there was an incident. Uh, yeah, yeah. I I haven't had any no. any mishaps, and uh, still my my it goes up a little bit every single. As year. I said to the insurance company yesterday, I expect my insurance to go up because of my little mishap, right? Hmm. I expected it. And what, was anybody hurt in, in your, your no, mishap? No. There was no one hurt. And sing, single car, just yourself, was uh, it? No, there was a double car. Oh, right. Okay. okay. A double car. But uh, the, the point I'm making is uh, I expect my insurance to go up, say, 40, not even 40%, 20% of it. 
So, which is 575, which would go up about 1,000 euros, I would expect it to, right? I have no objections to that. Because when you have an accident, you, 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 you expect to lose. Yes, well, you uh, lose uh, your no claim, of course. No claim, no claim bonus. But I didn't yeah. expect it to go three times that. Right. And that's what, what annoyed me yesterday, waiting for my disc, nearly seven weeks now. And then they go along and they try to take an installment, a payment out of the bank. And I have no disc got. And were you technically not insured then during during well, that period? They say they they said I was insured. I got a letter to that effect. To, I have a letter from the insurance company or the broker yes. saying at five o'clock on the eleventh I was insured. But I had to ring and ring and ring and ring all the time. Right, but at least you had disc. you had documentation to tell yes. you that you were insured, which is needless to say, Noel, very very important indeed. Can I ask you just about um, what we were talking about with uh, Tony, which is speed on the roads. What are you seeing out there, Noel? Um, well, that's a, that's a good question. Uh, what where I see it is young. Uh, I won't say young driver, but the part that I can see here, the council has to play their part. Okay. Signage is a big, big thing. So you go along with what Michael Healy Ray was saying to us then, would you? That they need to look at things like signage, state of the roads, you know the. Yes, uh, where I see it is uh, in some places they leave they leave the signage grow, grow with a hedge all over it. Yeah. And now you can't see it, and then and then when you try to put a claim in, they say, "Oh, we're not responsible for that." They can cut a ditch when they want to cut a ditch. Mm. The council. Yeah. But if if we try to cut a ditch, we're we're fined. Yeah. Well, uh, well, it depends on the time of year, as yeah. as you know. But the council doesn't have jurisdiction over that anymore, is my understanding. It's up to the the, the landowners to cut cut them at the appropriate times. But you look, you know. It's... Back to where where my little mishap happened, right? Mm. Uh, on the on the. Saturday, oh no, sorry, on the Friday. Mm. Just be careful about giving me too many details yes. now if that's still being looked after. On the Saturday, yeah. there, was a hit, there was a stop sign. Yeah. It was all grown over with a, with a kind of a an ivy kind of a thing, right? Yeah. And on the Sunday when I went out to take photographs, all of a sudden, the hedge had been cut back. Yeah, all right, all so right. That's, no, in, that's in, all I have to say about that. Yeah. But the, the, the council has to play their part. All right. In in the meantime, you're all insured and you're back up and running. Yeah, but, but the, yeah. the point I'm making is the insurance company needs to be a little bit more flexible. All right. Okay. Well, I do understand with them, and I, I try, I'm try. i no good at this kind of haggling with people, but I haggled a bit last time around. I got a few bob uh, off it. So it seems to be worth it if you can do it. But that wasn't your experience, obviously. No. No. Like they, they just said to me, uh, it was... Two thousand three hundred and forty, and there was no no movement. They said. Right, they put it into the computer. They, yeah, and that was it. And that's what it spit out. All right, Noel, look uh, after yourself and be safe on the roads. And thanks very much for coming on with us today. Eighteen hundred nine three eight double zero seven. Back in just a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie All right, lots more in on uh, the whole business of road safety. I live in Bohornamona Road next uh, to Loch Natala Park. Uh, if uh, Garda stood outside of my home, the speed of the traffic there, 
uh, is uh, unbelievable. Somebody is going to get killed, it says here. Uh, Fran, just listen to your programme on reducing speed limits. My point is that the roads are in a terrible state, potholes, etc. I think the roads should be better maintained. Uh, somebody else saying instead of concentrating on the maximum speed limit, uh, they should bring in a minimum speed limit on national roads. OK. Uh, Fran, the only way drivers will slow down is an instant ban. They don't care about penalty points. Uh, that man talking about stricter tests. Uh, drivers caught in Thurless uh, had an end plate. I see new drivers all of the time not using indicators, says uh, Anne-Marie. And uh, new speed limits are bull. The Gardaí don't enforce the ones that we have. I live in a 50k zone. Not one driver obeys it. Uh, not a Garda to be seen. Two squad cars in uh, on a roadblock. Um, OK, and it goes on to describe a particular event there where that is uh, concerned. Um, all right, uh, 1800-938-007. Now, Clonmel Remembrance Walk will take place on Sunday, uh, September 10th, which is this coming Sunday to mark World Suicide Prevention Day. And this year the theme is Creating Hope Through Action and Community Activist and a regular contributor to our show is Thomas Ryan, who joins me now. Good morning to you, Thomas. Good morning, Fran. How are you keeping? I'm very well indeed. Great to talk to you today. Is it that time of year again, Thomas? It is. Sadly, it is. And it is the usual. When I say sadly, you know, it's not meant in a bad way. It's just mm. that all the comings and goings of organising everything and getting it all done is the preparation is in full swing now and we're almost there. And of course, every single year, Thomas, it's just as relevant because sadly these tragedies are occurring all of the time. Yes, Fran, it's true. Uh, many many have lost their lives through suicide. And as it is, like it's not just in Clamell, it's around the whole country, Tipperary, and all over Ireland, that people are losing their families through suicide. And it's just something, in a small way, as a community, that we get together and remember uh, yeah. on World Suicide Prevention Day. Well, I think it's very important what you're doing. Just tell me about <laughs> how you will remember people this coming Sunday, Thomas. Well, this year, Fran, it's hard to believe it's our fifth year is it indeed? Uh, wow. It is, yep. Yeah. It's our 50 years since we started. And we have two events. The first one is the Remembrance Mass at 12.30 in St. Peter and Paul's in Glasgow in Clamell, uh, which will be celebrated by Bishop Cullinan of Waterford and Lismore. And the Bishop, I asked the Bishop, would he come up and do it? And he said he would delight to. Mm. Uh, we know Bishop Cullinan has been visiting Clamell recently a lot due to the tragedies and all that. And again, my own sympathies are with the families of and yes. friends of Grace, uh, Nicole, Zoe and Luke that lost their lives. I'm thinking of them in a special way as well. And Bishop Conan said, yeah, that's no problem. He said he'd love to come up and do it. Yeah, he's a decent man, that's for sure. He's he's a, he, 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 he always he's, makes he's himself a, available, that's, that's for sure. What else is happening, Thomas? And then at 4pm then on the same day on Sunday, we will have our walk itself taking place at the Gashouse Bridge to the Dickmulcahy Park and back along and stopping at the Hope Free, which is planted on the Blueway just below the uh, Greyhound track there uh, for the remembrance of the names along with music, some reflections, uh, a bit of poetry and the lane of the wreath as well. Very good. Now, I know that uh, you're going to tell me that everybody is, is welcome. You're not just talking oh. about local people around uh, Clonmel. Anybody's welcome to this, Thomas. Anybody is welcome, yeah. yeah. Anybody is welcome, friend. Uh, anyone is welcome to join us for the mass or join us for the walk as well. We can have also the groups, sporting organisations 
any organisation that would like to come and bring a banner, they're more than welcome to do it. And as I said, we are doing the Blue Way from the Gasthouse Bridge to the Dick Mulcahy Park and back up. So we have no traffic or anything like that. Uh, just bring yourself, if you want to bring your dog, you can. And you know yourself, if that dog has an accent, you just clean up after him. Mm. And with that then, uh, we'll, we'll just remember all those who die by suicide and suffer from mental health in any way uh, through a day of action. And oh, Very good. I think, I think it's a marvellous idea. You, you have some... Uh, uh, online uh, information available to people as well, haven't you? Do you we have, you? Ryan, yeah. yeah. People can check it out on my own uh, community Facebook page called Love Home Love Clamell, mm-hmm. or they can check it out on the Clamell Remembrance Group page as well, there as well. And also this year, uh, we have a special guest. We have, we have, we have three special guests, actually. Uh, as usual, the Mayor of Clamell uh, will be with us, so that's Councillor Rich Malloy, mm-hmm. and our good friend, uh, Cara Darmody is going to be leading the walk along with her dad, Mark. Oh, and right. you know yourself. So Cara is such an inspiration for us all. And what a way to have someone like Cara there to lift the spirits and bring idea. such positivity. Lovely so idea. Cara and Mark are going to do it. And Cara is going to do a little poem as well mm. at the Mass, just before Mass starts. Cara is going to do it at the poem as well. All right, well, I'm delighted. That's, that's a lovely touch. Uh, Thomas, have a, have a wonderful day on a Sunday and thank you for your time this morning. Thank no problem, Thomas. Thanks very much and thanks again for the time as well. Uh, anytime. Bye-bye to you now. Absolutely. That's uh, community Bye-bye. activist uh, Thomas Ryan there about the Clanmel Remembrance Walk uh, to mark World Suicide Prevention Day, 1800-938-007. The text and WhatsApp, 83 311 Of course, we're always delighted to hear from you. You can email, by the way, at any time, and that's a tip today at tipfm.com. Now, the Minister for, Minister for Justice even has said that many people are very upset about a documentary featuring interviews with the notorious drug trafficker uh, John Gilligan, or crime boss, as he's being described as. And uh, as you know, of course, Veronica Guerin was killed by members of Gilligan's drugs uh, gang in 1996. Now, one of our listeners, John, was in touch about this, and he joins me now. John, good morning to you. Morning, friend. How are you? John, you were infuriated uh, by the programme being on air. Tell, Tell me why, John. Well, like a lot of people, I'd say I was infuriated. I don't see why this guy, the dogs in the street know, like, I mean, you know, this guy's pedigree, right? And you could say lack of pedigree, I suppose, that's given him some kind of, a, a, as well as his notoriety, you could say he has a pedigree. Um, I just don't see why he was made. I'm surprised that David Harvey, who's a very good journalist, and um, to give this guy a platform to spout. And he was, I, I didn't watch the programme, we boycotted and I think any right person, uh, thinking person should also boycott it. But the, I saw David Harvey being interviewed in RT, I heard him being interviewed and I'd seen him being interviewed. And he was asked about John Gilligan giving the platform to support his lies. And David Harvey's answer, the maker of the programme was, there will be people that to counteract John Gilligan's lies. Well, that's no good to me in the first place, Ryan, because why give him the platform in the first place to spout the lies that didn't have to be counteracted by someone who's telling the truth? And let me be devil's advocate here for just a moment, John. I mean, is it not important to try and get our heads around characters like this and how, you know, how they develop into the creatures that they become and otherwise we won't understand, maybe? Well, the whole idea of coming from this... uh, uh, backgrounds I mean say that are not great like apparently he blamed a lot of this on his father or whatever he did, like, yes. look he did, yeah. there's other people from 
listen this morning they didn't have a great family upbringing so they were, the, the father might have been alcoholic might have been gambling going on domestic violence whatever but the, like the, the families didn't have no gangsters like yeah. I mean or criminals yeah. like I mean so I mean that, that 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 that's not an excuse in my book but I mean the thing is that like he, they were have he was an athlete I mean like how does he feel no John Gilligan, and he said, well, he misses the spotlight. Well, back on you again, Mr. David Harvey, in your company. You gave him the spotlight today, again, just about his chorology and his lies. So, I mean, why would you do that? This guy was a main suspect on the murder, the slaughter of Veronica Gaiman, even though he wasn't charged with it, but the dogs in the street again, no. His gang was involved in it, you know, so whether he sanctioned it or not, mm. only he knows that, right? I, but I, the same time, I just, I, I didn't see it on Monday night, but I had a brief look at some of it uh, this morning because I knew you were going to chat to us about it, uh, John. Mm. And I can't make my own mind up about it. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that he's a narcissist and he loves attention. Oh, yeah. But I do think, I, I, I hate the notion of banning stuff off air or not airing something because I like to try and get inside somebody's head, even if they've done something dreadful. But surely the only way we can learn is to understand how they become who they are. Well, you see, this guy, you see, use this as an opportunity, you know, to call him as rehabilitate himself. And that's the part I don't like. But that didn't work for him. I mean, especially when he said that he had no feelings at all about the death of Veronica Gearan. I mean, that was but that'll tell, monstrous, that'll tell, you know? that'll tell you the type of individual yes, yeah. that they're giving a platform to, like, you mean, to spout, to actually say that. In the cold light of day. Now, you mentioned the, the current Minister for Justice, uh, Helen McIntyre, mm. who I have no confidence in at all. I mean, who said that she wasn't happy with this program either. But the same uh, party, the Fianna Gael party at the time, Nora Owen, was the Minister for Justice. Mm. And they allowed the Gilligan Strand and the Monk and the General and all these people to flourish. And they allowed them to get through such a level that it was like the mafia slaughtering uh, prosecutors in Sicily and parts of uh, Italy, wherever, right? That they got so high up in the picking order, they thought they could basically do what they like. And the only reason the cab, it took the murder, the cold blooded slaughter of the mother and the wife, Veronica Gaiman, on the near Stuart College, right? For them to do something. For them to get up off of their backside. Why wasn't the cab set up before that? Why wasn't all this stuff implemented? And and the speed that that all that was done with was remarkable after Veronica's death, wasn't it? Well, the the speed that was set up, you see, was because they knew they were going to be slaughtered by the press. But there was was another reason as well, because they said that these guys are going to do this in broad daylight to a journalist. Who's next? They got the commissioner the Minister for Justice, yes. the Taoiseach of the country, a High Court judge. This is what. This is why they got up off of their backside. My, the point I make is Gilligan should never have got as high up the picking order and criminality as he did. Neither should the monk on any of these guys. Mm. But, but I mean, it continued on to the uh, the Keenahans and the like. And you see the, the Garda Commission now currently... Um, is in Dubai to try and organise, you know, that th- that they would be well, uh, taken I back mean, for justice I, to be applied to them, yeah? I, f- I find that hilarious because the other commissioners over in Dubai, you know, 
and uh, having talks about the Kenyans while his forces emerging here, people are leaving the Gardaí on a daily basis. And I know Gardaí have left and are considering leaving. Mm. Right, The numbers are down. There's a word of no confidence coming down and they said, same commissioner that is now all over in Dubai, right? He will be better served to stay at home and start out his force and sit down with this waste of space minister of justice, Helen McIntyre, and start out the justice system, courts and all, sentencing everything, rather than be swanning around in Dubai. And can I put something else to you, just to go back to the original part of our conversation about the John Gilligan uh, document? I think it's called Crime Boss, as far as I remember. Um, But have we 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 not got a fascination with these guys? I mean, I'm not sure if you you have Netflix, uh, John, but I mean, all over, uh, all over Netflix is programmes about guys like Gilligan. You know, we seem to have a fascination with them. Yeah, well, obviously there's, there's uh, crime thrillers, and actually the 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 the, the, the biggest uh, culprits uh, for reading crime thrillers and uh, everything about serial killers uh, seem to be women. For some strange, bizarre reason, women seem to have a fascination with these guys. Even Ted Bundy, who was a, a serial killer of many, many, many women, like got a massive amount of, of love mail from women when he was in jail before he was executed. And what what are you re- what are you reading into that now, John? I don't know. There's just some fascination, but uh, I I I don't know mm. how it happened to the psyche of that. I mean that somebody would actually write to somebody, especially a woman, to a guy that's that's uh, a convicted uh, serial killer of women. I just can't get my head around that. How anyone could even entertain the idea of writing up are you, to anyone? Are you calling on Virgin Media at the moment? I mean, we've we've seen the first episode. I think there's three in all, and uh, next that Monday is night it. is yeah. is the next one. Um, are you yeah. calling on them now to to cease um, well, broadcasting? There's, there's, this no, there's no point in me calling them to cease. What I would say to people is, look, every every program, like you mean, in two year old, like you mean, it was by ratings, fan ratings. Right? You've got good ratings. I mean, and other uh, networks have good ratings, they've got bad ratings. But the best thing to do is to boycott it completely because they're still going to go ahead. David Harvey said that. It's still going ahead, right? There's one episode mm. gone. Well, there's, there's been a lot of investment in it, I suppose. Yeah. As well. how, yeah. how they're going to milk another two hours out of it is beyond me. But, I mean, again, this is giving him another platform for another two weeks for a convicted tug. That's all he is, a convicted mm. tug. John, great to talk to you, and thank you for your time, and good morning to you. News and information is coming up. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Welcome back to the second hour of Tip Today. 1800 938 007. That's some breaking news for you. Shami Callanan. Uh, has called time on his decorated career, indeed, as a Tipperary senior hurler. Uh, three-time All-Ireland winner, four-time All-Star, former hurler of the year and one of the most lethal goal scorers in the history of uh, the game. He has announced his inter-county retirement uh, this morning. Drummond Inch, of course, is his uh, club. He has endured a, a litany of injury setbacks in recent uh, seasons, but still was key to Liam Cahill's uh, championship plans uh, this year, and he featured in five of the six uh, senior hurling uh, championship uh, outings. He scored his 40th championship goal in uh, Tipperary's demolition of Offaly 
in the All-Ireland preliminary quarter-final, but uh, he was substituted at half-time in what uh, proved to be his championship swan song against Galway in June. So what a servant has been to Tipperary hurling, and we wish Jamie the very, very best indeed. 1800 Now, the conversation around the huge success of the Wolf Tones at Electric Picnic uh, trundles on, and Justin was in touch with us about this, and Justin joins me now. Good morning, Justin. Good morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed. Great to talk Good to you today. Good morning to your listeners. Were, were, you at, you too, were you at uh, Electric Picnic, uh, Justin? I, I wasn't, Fran, no. Yeah. yeah. What, what did you make of hearing about and seeing some of the videos around the huge reaction to the tones at the picnic? Yeah, um, I was like quite glad, um, Fran, to see what, what was happening, actually. I, I'm sure... It was a a, 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 a a kick up the backside maybe for uh, those friends who uh, like to tell us that we shouldn't be maybe listening to uh, uh, the Wolf Tones or the Rebel Music or, you know, to those mm. like to maybe tell us our history is a little different than what it actually is, you know? But our history is what it is, friend, as far as I'm concerned or as far as, you know, it is what it is. Like, it's full of, uh, you know, violence and, and death and... Yeah, you know, I, I see the problem. That's really, Fran. It's, it's and and if that violence and death, if that's reflected in the songs, you you don't have a problem with that, Justin, do you? Um, listen, Fran. I, I don't think that um, death or or violence or anything should be um, glorified in any way. Mm. But um, no, Fran. I don't think. Uh, to be honest, Fran. You go and ask some 18 or 19-year-old uh, singing ooh-ah up the rack of the wolf tones in Strad Valley. Um, you know, ask them anything about uh, the, the troubles for or anything that happened in the north. They're probably not going to know a whole file about it, you know. They're maybe a little bit innocent to it. But, yeah, yeah, uh, because I, I took issue, and I, it appears that you do as well. I took issue to that notice that every young lad or young lady who was shouting ooh-ah up the ra along with the tones w- would be a sympathiser with with terrorist violence or with the IRA. I mean, that's not the case, you know? No, of course that's not the case, friend, no. No, that's not the case, friend. And while that's going on, friend, we're all we're here talking about uh, young Irish people uh, singing ooh-ah up the ra and we had the ladies' soccer team a couple of weeks ago yeah. in water for singing uh, the same thing in a dressing room, you know. Mm. While while that's going on, friend, we have loyalists and unionists marching up and down the Shank Hill Road, singing about how they want to be up to their knees in Fenian and Catholic blood, you know. But that kind of goes unnoticed, friend, or at least it's not spoken about, you know. I, listen, friend, it's been acknowledged. I just wanted it to be acknowledged that forty or fifty or sixty thousand young people from Ireland went to listen to uh, uh, the Wolf Tones and sing songs which. Uh, the establishment or some of those in power, friend, would maybe rather we weren't singing. Um, uh, you know, it, it's, yeah, it's that simple, really, like, you know. And, you it's, know, I what... think it just points out, Fracker gets back to the point, friend, that um, uh, those in power, friend, are, are out of touch yes. with people on the ground, if that makes sense, you know. Yeah, because there seemed to be a, a general surprise, particularly in national media. That young people yes. would latch on to this music. Yes, in some there's way, a surprise, you know? friend, or there's a surprise element at least. It would seem that some international media are surprised, you know. But again, friend, that's because they're out of touch. So you take some guy living in Dublin, um, you know, whatever. He, he's not he's not used to the same life, friend, as the young lad from Gurtnahu or the young lad from Torles or wherever he may be, you know. Yeah, like, but, but, it, but, you go to 
Go on, sorry, friend. No, 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 I was just going to say, I mean, we'd all be aware of this, Justin, because, I mean, if you look at the success of Rebel Hearts in Tipperary or the the, yeah. the, the tumbling paddies, I, you know, I saw yeah. some videos of them in Tipperary Town recently. It was like a yeah. rock rock concert with all yeah, these kids all up the singing right, all the, the songs. Rebel Hearts, tumbling yeah. paddies, all these young bands, upcoming bands, yeah. making music, Irish music, cool again, you know? And more luck to them, friend. That, in my opinion, is where... We should be encouraging young people to go instead of listening to this modern stuff we have on the radio about sex, drugs and rock and roll and money and the Kardashians and stuff, you know? Well, that's a very interesting point too, Justin, I, I, because some, yeah, some, people, some people were putting up lyrics of some artists that are currently, like, leading the charts all over the world. Yes, and and yes, some yes. of the lyrics are misogynistic and they're racist. Yes, and they're, there's lots know. of things, Fran, going on, yeah. But yeah. that seems to be all OK, Fran, you know? Uh, but, but it's not OK to sing about... Um, our history are about um, guys who felt like they had to give their lives for, you know, their country yeah. or whatever, you know. But yeah. the, the irony of it is, is that after 60 years on the road, the Wolfhounds are now bigger than they ever were and cooler yes. than they ever were. Well, mm. well, well, maybe not bigger, but yeah, as big, I suppose, Fran, or, or it would seem after the weekend um, as cool, you know. Yeah, it's, it's, the Saw Doctors apparently Frank got a good uh, a good uh, good audience that they should pick the weekend too you know another yeah. good Irish band so okay, that's good yeah. to see yeah and and again no, the I just think Frank yeah. going back Frank to uh, last month when uh, uh, I think it was one of the uh, Brian Warfield or Derek Warfield was on with Joe Duffy and Joe Duffy really Brian, killed him yeah. and told him mm. his music was this and his music was that and nobody wanted to listen you know yeah. but uh, again Frank uh, thousands of people showed up to Electric Picnic there was thousands at a Fela uh, festival in Belfast a couple of weeks back I think there was there was uh, some controversy over that too and songs that were being sung. Again, the unionists or the loyalists in Northern Ireland didn't like it, Fran, but as I said, they can march up and down the road and sing as they please about Catholic blood, you know, uh, yeah, but they have an issue with us singing about... Um, was yeah. there an element of protest at Electric Picnic in terms of the kids, uh, the kids, the young people, supporting the Wolf Tones because of all that went on? Do you think that might have played a part in it as well? Um... That's a good question, Fran. I yeah. don't really know, to be honest. But, yeah, maybe so, Fran. Maybe yeah. so, maybe so. Yeah. It's, it, it, yeah. It's... No, listen, Fran, I'm just glad it's been acknowledged that, you know, uh, 40, 50 or 60,000 people arrived at him to, 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 to see this band, to listen to this particular music. And as I said, Fran, I don't think um, death or, or anything um, violence should be glorified in any way. But we can't, we can't as a people, Fran, forget who we are, uh, where we came from, how we got to where we are today, and you know, we can't forget the fact that we're supposed to live in a republic. Now, in my opinion, friend, we don't live in a republic. We live in a so-called republic, but we shouldn't forget who we are, friend, and 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 how we got to where we are today. You know, or where we might go in the future. And could I get your your opinion on something else that occurred in in our discussions as well, which was one of our listeners, one of our contributors, made the point that maybe. Maybe the young people of today as well, maybe they are looking to a united Ireland, for example, and we're looking at um, the upsurge of support for Sinn Féin and one thing and all. Is this all playing into no, well, some form no, of I nationalism? Don't so, I, don't think, I don't think the majority of young people, Fran, are thinking that far ahead about united Ireland okay. or whatever. Right. I also, Fran, think that um, Sinn Féin uh, has, name has been mentioned a lot of times in the same conversation as the Wolf Tones, as if uh, republicanism belonged to Sinn Féin. But that's not the case, Fran, you know... Uh, Republicanism belongs to, well, you yeah. know, everybody has their own opinions and beliefs or whatever, but, yeah, it doesn't belong to Sinn Féin, right. in my opinion. So is there a danger we're looking too deeply into this as opposed to thinking that 20,000, 30,000 kids were having a great time, as simple as that, singing along? Yes, yeah. I think we're looking a bit deeply into it too, friend. Yeah, yeah, you know, ooh, up the raft, friend. I mean, 
yeah, does that even insinuate violence, Brian, in any way? I'm not sure that it does, like, you know? Yeah, I well, mean, it's 2023. Who are we even referring to, Fran? The IRA are no longer, you know? It's like, um, yeah. Yeah. So you, 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 you don't see any difficulty with that as far as you're, you're concerned. And are you surprised with the outpouring of scorn on, on it over the last uh, few days? Are you, are you surprised at that? Yeah, from it's gone from where, Fran, or from who? I, I, I don't understand. Well, I, I was reading some of some of the um, pieces in the various newspapers. Oh, and listen, Fran, you wouldn't be surprised, Fran, to read the Independent or the Guardian or or, or any of them. Yeah, well, uh, you know, yeah. to, 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 no, Fran, you wouldn't be surprised to hear any scorn from from that side of uh, the argument. But what's new about that, Fran? You know, these are the same people, Fran, who wanted us to commemorate the black and tans and the like. You know, and forget about who we are. But listen, Fran, again, I think it's just a, another uh, wake up call to. To those in power, Fran, that they are out of touch with people on the ground, you know. All right, Justin. Well, you make your people points very be, well. People should be people should be proud of where they came from, Fran, and, and proud of uh, their history. And you know, whether 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 some in society like it or not, Fran, it is what it is. You know, we uh, who knows where this country would be um, today if it wasn't for Republicans, you know. And I'll just make one more point, Fran. Mm. It, there's there's a lot of hypocrisy, Fran, in the fact that Fianna Fáil and Fianna Fáil, they don't seem to have any problem commemorating republicanism before, say, up to uh, 21 or 22, Fran. Mm. But come uh, the late 60s and, and on, they have they have big problems commemorating republicans or, or republicanism. You know, they view them as being different because there was more violence and stuff involved. But the reason there was more violence and stuff involved, in my opinion, Fran, in the 60s, 70s, and, and into the 80s or whatever, is because uh, the, the mechanisms, Fran, uh, weren't in place in 1916 or even in 1920, which were in place in the 60s and the 70s, you know? So someone once made an argument to me that, oh, but Michael Collins didn't go around planting bombs anywhere or whatever, but he only didn't go around planting bombs, Fran, because they didn't have the capacity to do so, you know? They did plant small explosives at... Right, but, and stuff right, like, but you, you know, know so. that I can't let that comment go without pointing out that thousands of innocent people lost their lives throughout those years oh, in Northern oh, Ireland, Justin. Friend, and and, yes, and I know you're not condoning that in the least, no, but I, I just have second, to point friend. that out. As I yes. said already, I don't con- I'm not condoning any yes. violence or criminality or terrorism, if terrorism is what you want to call it. Yes. But, um, yeah, at the same time, friend, it, 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 you know, I, I'm not sure what were people meant to do, friend, you know? The English army arrived in Northern Ireland, Fran, to keep the peace. They were welcomed with tea and open arms. But that sort of soon turned uh, soon turned uh, sour, Fran, when when, yes. when the people of Northern Ireland realised sure. what you, the British you, army... You mentioned Michael Collins. I mean, Michael Collins is often uh, hailed as being the greatest Irish man of all time. And still, I mean, Michael Collins is the guy behind the, the murder squads in, in Dublin who were sent out yes, to, exactly, to kill Fran. people. So, yeah. on, yes, exactly, uh, yeah. 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 So are you yeah, saying, I'm is there a hypocrisy... Is there and a... 13 men dead, I think. Uh, it would, uh, yeah, there's hypocrisy, Fran. I just don't understand, Fran. They view republicanism in, in, in the early part of the century, in the 20s, um, different than they do to republicanism in the 60s and in the 70s and the 80s, you know? Right. Well, of course, a lot of people would see those as being very, very different historical occasions. And, uh, you know, and, and, and as I say, and we have to keep repeating this, thousands of people died unnecessarily and an awful lot of innocent uh, people and children died as well, which was, you know... Oh, yes, totally, yeah. friend. I, I, I don't disagree. And again, yeah. friend, I want to uh, repeat, I, I don't, I'm not condoning violence or, or, yeah, or sure, you know, sure. uh, terrorism or criminality or whatever in any way, shape or form. 
But I think, uh, yeah, it is what it is, Fran, at this point, you know. And um, Yeah. Can I yeah, put one I final think... thing to you about the Wolf Tones? And it's just a few people have texted in about this over the last few days as well. And basically, I'm going to sum up a few different texts. And what they're saying is that we're making too much of this altogether, that it was simply... Now, this is... These are not my words. These are our, our listeners saying there was drinking drugs involved in this and there were people just off their heads and they were singing along and make no more of it. What? No, I, I don't think that's the case, Fran. People weren't drunk and off their heads when they were booking tickets to go to Electric Picnic, Fran. Well aware that the Wolf Thorns were going to be there. Right. you know. And I okay. don't think forty or 50,000 uh, people... Um, just off the cuff decided on the afternoon that we're going to see the Wolf Tones either, Fran. I'm sure this was already in their heads and in their, you know, in their plans, like. Right. That's not fair comment. That's not fair comment. I don't think so, Fran. Okay. That's very unfair. Again, Fran, but I'm sure that comment, Fran, came from the same side, you know, of those who would rather the Wolf Tones weren't a thing or would rather that young people weren't listening to uh, Republican music or rebel music, you know? Right. But do you think this is not going away? Because I, I think this is going to generate to go even away, more Fran. interest. It's over, Fran. It's done. No, no. I think we need to stop talking about Fran. I think there's uh, there's bigger issues in the country that um, should be ta- oh, uh, taking the time, to be honest. Not mm. just on Tip FM, but across all uh, media yeah. outlets and radio stations, you know. All right. I, I think, yeah, let go, like, you know. Let the Wolf Tones back into Electric Picnic next year, Fran, and on the main stage and see how many people arrive. And then Joe Duffy and, and the blue shirts, and the, you know, they'll have their answer, like. It's quite simple, Fran, you know. We are who we are, and we shouldn't forget it, in my opinion. All right, Justin, Garamil Mahagut, and uh, thank Fran, you. can I just thank make you. a small point, Fran? Yeah. Fran, this morning you were talking about um, road traffic incidents and the RSA and on Garda Shia Corner and all yes. this. Yeah. There's an extra 1.2 million put, being put into Go Safe Fans. Yes. Go Safe Fans, Fran, are a waste of time. Miss uh, Helen McEntee, Fran, might as well get the 1.2 million and bring it down here and give it to people to spend in Ross Gray or something because putting it into more Go Safe Fans is not going to save any lives, Fran. They can put 5 million, Fran, in the morning if they want to into the RSA and on Garda Shia Corner. But when the resources are being put into the wrong place, Fran, and spent in the wrong places, there's no progress going to be made. It's too simple in this country, Fran, to get your hand on a driver's license. You can literally go uh, pay a driving instructor, I don't know, a couple of hundred quid for a couple of lessons. He drives you around for a half an hour. Some guy hands you a shirt and tells you you can drive, and then you're free to go up and down the road as you please when you haven't a clue. It's not good enough, Fran. It's, it's, it all needs to be changed. There's, you know, it, yeah, resources, Fran, going to the wrong place. As many people dying on the roads... Um, I'm not sure what this is going to do, Fran. I see at the moment, Fran, there's, I, I, the, 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 the guards in Templemore, Fran, are practicing their driving or whatever, you know. They seem to be coming in a loop mm. here from Templemore to Dunkern, back to Ross Gray and back to Templemore or whatever. And this is costing loads of money, Fran. I don't know, they're teaching us how to drive cars fast or, you know, they're coming through town with sirens on and all of this crack. But again, Fran, none of this is going to save lives, Fran. Unless we start teaching young people how to drive from a young age and take lots of other things into consideration, apart from, as you said this morning, friend, reversing around the corner or a three-point turn or a hill start. You know, when was the last time you reversed around the corner, friend? It, 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 it's, it's, been, it's been a while. Know? It's been a while, yeah. Justin. And you see these multi-agency checkpoints then, friend, the motorways and stuff when the yeah. weather is good yeah. with, um, you know, uh, agencies, uh, different arms of the state there, the RSA and the Health and Safety Authority, the Social Welfare and stuff. Again, friend, not... not um, not taking away from debts on the road, friend, you know. It, it just, I don't know what they're at. Maybe collecting revenue or something, but that's how it looks. But All we're right. certainly not stopping people dying, friend, you know. All right, Justin, great to talk to you today. <laughs> Some great points there. Thank you and good morning to you. That's uh, Justin. We'll take a break. It's uh, 10.25 right now.
Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Thurlis Youth Development Project was set up in 1981 to cater for early school leavers in the Thurlis area. It was expanded to cater for young learners between the ages of 16 to 21. And since uh, the 1980s, the project has carried out its business in a very specially constructed centre in its current location in Thurlis. And I'm delighted to be joined now by Fiona Coffey, who is the assistant manager. Fiona, good morning to you. Good morning. And thanks very much indeed for, for dropping in today. Will you tell me, first of all, about what exactly it is you do? In Thurlis Community Centre, we look after all the young, young people of uh, County Tipperary who wants to go on to do different courses, but may not necessarily be suitable for school. Mm. So we look after anyone aged between 16 and 21. Uh, We have a variety of different courses that would facilitate their needs. Mm. You know, we have the likes of computers and office skills. We have carpentry and home improvement. We have hospitality and catering. And we have hairdressing and beauty. And while the courses are fantastic and there's great interest in the courses because we're a continuous intake centre there's no start and stop so anyone can come in at any time and join in on the courses that's, that's fantastic uh, it, that because otherwise we're depending on the start of term and all of that that's right it? so we want to eliminate that mm. so some people might not be suitable for school as i said so they may want to come and do something else mm. and that's where our center has a huge uh, play and what about previous qualifications Fiona I mean what what do you need to get involved well, with yourselves some of our learners would have a junior cert mm. some of them would have completed the leaving cert but may not necessarily have been happy with the points that they got um, they don't absolutely have to have any qualification because we provide one-to-one learning to the individual person. You know, we offer them numeracy and literacy. It's part of a built-in programme into all our programmes. And we offer them uh, various other things like um, Mm. uh, counselling and we have an advocate on site there three days a week. That's brilliant because, I mean, you you speak about numeracy and literacy and you speak about, you know, you having counsellors available because these are issues that might have held people back um, throughout their education and now they have an opportunity to surmount that in some way. Absolutely. I mean, numeracy and literacy is a huge uh, hurdle. Yes, and we take it for granted. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, like, you and I can read time, but not everybody can. Yeah, yeah. You know, we can read a label on a bottle, but again, not everybody can. Right. And this is yeah. through no fault absolutely. of their own. No. And that's important to point out, isn't absolutely, it? Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. It's the school system doesn't suit everybody. Yes. You know, and wild school is fantastic and it is brilliant. And, you know, we all know the importance of it. It just doesn't suit everybody's needs. Right. No more than college suits everybody's needs as well. Exactly. Of course. Yeah. yeah. And uh, before I get into the detail, in your experience, and you've, you've been doing this a long time, Fiona, have you seen people's lives been turned around by these opportunities? Oh, absolutely. 
absolutely. I mean, like you see somebody coming into the centre and they're shy and they don't they don't know what they want. They don't know what to expect. And over our programmes are a two year programme. And over the two years, you watch them develop and grow and mature as a, as a young adult, you know, and their confidence is growing. And the more they produce, we'll take the woodwork, for example, the more little pieces that they produce, you can see in every piece that their confidence is growing that much further and further. You know, it's just wonderful to watch. And then the progression onto other courses mm. are and, out and in And what the about that, to use this as a pathway somewhere else? What, what opportunities are there like that? There's huge opportunities, absolutely huge opportunities. I mean, in our hairdressing, we have um, the v- VTCT, Diploma Level 1. That's what we offer. And that then you can progress on to the likes of Temple Moor hairdressing to do an apprenticeship where you would do one day a week in Templemore and four days a week out in an actual salon. And you'd be a qualified hairdresser after a number of years. You smiled at me earlier when I asked you how much does this cost? Because, of course, not only does it not cost, but there are opportunities to make money. There's huge benefits to young people. So anyone aged between 16 and 18 will get a training allowance of €45 a week. Anyone aged 18 and above, once they're registered with the intro uh, office, they are then transferred over onto our system, onto the ETB system, and the ETB then pay them a training allowance. And again, it's very much dependent on the individual circumstances. So they would get a training allowance as well. Very good indeed. And they'll be mentored through the experience, which Every is very important, step isn't away. it? Yeah. Every step of the way. And just to repeat again, we're talking about hair and beauty, we're talking about introduction to professional cookery, for yes. example, as well, woodwork, home improvement, and just general learning office skills as well, which is very important too. It, it? It's, yeah. it's massively important because everything you do now, there's computers involved yes, course, in some yeah. way, somehow. Yes. You know, and you need to be able to access a computer. You need to be able to know the basic workings of a computer. You know, I mean, like, even if you're doing social media, you need to be able to use a mouse, you need to be able to use a keyboard, you know, simple things that people forget. So if I'm listening this morning and I'm saying that may be for me, or I might be a parent this morning listening and saying, well, that might suit my Johnny or my Mary. How can we get involved? How can we get so in touch? So it's, it's very simple. All you have to do is call into the Terrellus Community Training Centre on the Carver Road and they will help you with the forms that needs to be filled up. Then you are registered on what's called fetchcourses.ie. And once you're registered on that, and once your forms are finalised, you are contacted then and you're given a start date to whenever you want to start. And... I mean, just again, because sometimes people are a bit shy, people are a bit, you know, careful about going into it. You'll be made extremely welcome, Fiona. That's, oh, that's absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we, as I said, we're a continuous intake centre. So we are so used to people coming in and out to us the whole time. And the more people that we have coming in, you know, the busier the place is. There's a huge buzz about the place and everybody is just buzzing around. It's it's great. It's a lovely place to be. Excellent. It really is. And just to repeat again, you've seen you've seen people's lives being turned around 
by this very experience that absolutely. we're talking about. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, like, we have past learners and their children are now coming to the centre. So that in itself speaks volumes. Fiona, tell me about the role of the Board of Management and indeed how they're important in the running of the centre. Well, the Board of Management and TETB operate the centre. The, the TETB funded and the Board of Management run it. Uh, we have a fantastic chairman, Michael Ryan. He's great interest in the centre. He calls in once a week. He knows all the learners by name, which is absolutely marvellous, mm-hmm. you know. And the all the learners know him as well and they all speak with him and it's great it really is great and then we are very lucky to have John Murphy now John Murphy is our senior community development officer from TETB and like like Michael he's 100% committed to the centre and the service of the young people of course we're talking about Thurlis Community Training Centre it's on the Cabra Road in Thurlis and just as a landmark for that where where is that near how would people know that okay, area okay so I'm not personally from Tipperary, so the only landmarks I can give out are uh, the old tax the office. Old tax office there, yeah. And it's the sugar factory. Yep. So that's where it's based very on that good road. Indeed. And you'll be made very welcome there um, as well. Fiona, great to see you and thanks very much indeed. No problem. Thank you, Fran. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie documentary has been made recognising the wonderful work being done at the Knock and Raleigh Resort Centre in uh, Tipperary Town. And before we hear from some of those involved, I want to play you a little from the trailer to the documentary. Anybody that comes in the door gets the wealth, no matter who they are, what they are. What nationality? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, no. You know, and young, old, it yeah. doesn't make any difference. Yeah. You know, there's no... We don't judge, I suppose. No we're non-judgmental, No, really. we're not. Yeah. Yeah. We're not. And we never were. Once you get in the front door, it's like a, it's like being going in home and the fire is lit. It's, it's a homely place, full of community, and there's always something happening here. Knock and Raleigh is home, I think, to so many people. It's so welcoming that it's it's just I can't put it into words, but you can see that it it just changes people's lives. Well, our own Ali is at uh, Knock and Raleigh Resort Centre in Tipperary Town for us uh, this morning, ahead of the premiere of the uh, documentary. Good morning to you, Ali. Yeah, good morning, Fran. I'm here at Knock and Raleigh Resort Centre this morning, just ahead of the big premiere. They're all picking out dresses and outfits for next week for the big premiere at the XL. And it's the premiere of the extraordinary documentary called Knock and Raleigh, Our Place. And just to talk a little bit more about it, uh, we have the filmmaker herself here. We're going to talk to her in just a moment. But Mary Maloney is CE supervisor here at Knock and Raleigh. And Mary, I'm sure there aren't many people left in Tipperary who doesn't know what Knock and Raleigh is and the great work that it does. But just give us a nice overview of the work that's done here. Okay. Um, good morning, Fran. Good morning, listeners. Um, Knock and Raleigh Resource Centre is officially opened since 1991. Actually, our birthday is on Friday. I can't believe that. <laughs> so it's good timing. It's the 8th of September 1991. It was officially opened. It was the brainchild of the late sister Joan Madden and the local Pierce Park Residence Committee just across the road from us. They had done an analysis, I think, back in 1988 and 
discovered the need in the area for the support, so that's really how it started. It started in the room we are in at the minute, the main hall. It was just one room with the little office here to our back, so it has definitely grown and grown and grown over the years. Yeah, tell us what's here now. Yeah, we have a massive centre now. We, it has expanded, I think there was three or four different extensions over the years. We have a community development project, we have a childcare project, we have family therapy and counselling, we have training and education, we have an organic garden at the back of the building, we have various programmes like we have the Ability programme, we have a community employment programme, we have outreach programmes then that come maybe once a week or once a month, we have Coonsair come to the centre every Monday, we have restorative justice come, um, community services, we would have um, over the years substance um, clinic from Camel would have been here as well. So there's a variety of things. Um, nighttime we would have like temporary ETB rent rooms here to put on adult education evening courses so they're starting back again next week with healthcare and childcare courses. There's a variety of stuff. I think I suppose when we're here every day we just take it for yeah. granted a little bit. It's when fresh eyes come in they can see that there is so much activities and so much support going on for all members of the community from small children right up to senior citizens. How does it compare then across the country and across the county? What's available here I think is very unique and there's a lot more here than, than you would find in other resource centres similar to it maybe or comparable to it. I suppose really we are a one-stop shop really that we have a variety of, of services that help people. Say childcare would be a big um, addition or a big help to people trying to get back into work, back into education. Obviously we have parent and family support, we have family therapy and counselling, we have all say like hobby kind of courses or programmes as well to get people out, get people into the community and get people included. Say for like we'd have women's groups, men's groups, we have the men's sheds, we would have summer camps, we would there's just a variety of stuff really that goes on over the year for all the age groups. Are you finding there's a big demand for services now, not just post-COVID, but also with the, the cost of living now and everything? People and families need a bit more help. Are you finding that here? We are, definitely. I think post-COVID, I suppose, on one hand, people are very anxious. They want to get back out, get back involved, take up new activities, get back out meeting people, basically. But I suppose in the recent times, with the cost of living, there's definitely a need for more support. Theresa will be talking to you in a yeah. minute. So she, under the Community Development Programme, there is a food cloud programme. And I think Theresa will can vouch that the demand has risen definitely over the last maybe 18 months, two years especially. Yeah, it's it's sorry to say that, but I mean, thank God that we have resources like like yourselves here available for people who are in need then, isn't it? It is. I think, yeah, we are, we, we are here for the community. It's The centre is run by the community for the community. Yeah. So we're here to help in any way we can. And that's exactly what inspired this documentary, Knock and Raleigh, Our Place. And the filmmaker is with uh, Grey Heron Media. It's Mary McDonnell, and she joins me now. Mary, when did this project begin for you? Well, it began, um, I suppose, a few years ago, really. Um, myself and uh, my colleague, uh, Dermot McIntyre from uh, Grey Heron Media, and we had uh, Daniel Clancy at the time, and we would have put our heads together because... Uh, we, over time, had come here quite a bit making radio programmes for local radio, um, meeting different individual groups here like Falch's Jock Language Class, um, you know, the Men's Shed, the Organic Garden. And I suppose we were just chatting and we were thinking about our next, what our next community television uh, programme would be. And it, it, it actually just began to be very apparent that there was an amazing story here of, you know, there's all the individual groups which on their own are, are fantastic, 
but they, every time we came here, I suppose we each were seeing what a lovely atmosphere was here and the energy of the place and the opportunities that it was given to people. So we thought, oh, there's actually, it's actually the story of Knock and Rawley itself. Yes. And I suppose the, the, um, the, yeah, the, the fantastic um, life skills and opportunities that it gives to people. So I suppose that's where it began and uh, where it, the filming itself began then was this year. Um, so we are making we sat down there in January uh, so I remember well coming in sitting down with Teresa Normile who's beside me here and um, I suppose just saying okay so what what is this film now going to be about because we had um, we had a plan as such but this is uh, co-creative filmmaking it's uh, community filmmaking and the broadcast um, station is Cork Community Television which would be the community TV for kind of Munster really so um, I suppose the great opportunity there because this is funded by through Commission Naman um, I suppose the opportunity is to make the film in a different way maybe than the documentary crew normally coming in, you know, they're they're trying to find the story, and that's and that's so valid. But this is 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 different in that this wasn't me trying to or Dermot or you know trying to uh, tell what we think our story of Knock and Raleigh. What we were trying to do with the Knock and Raleigh editorial team was to try and actually stop ourselves from doing that. Actually, say, no, what is what is the story of what happens here? What is important here? So was that evolving all the time oh, for you during the process? It absolutely was, because I think even from when the original plan had been, because sometimes there's there's some time passes between when you, you write your original application and then you're coming to make it, especially because we had COVID in between. So there was different groups here and there was um, there was actually there was different staff. There was it was different. So we had to actually um, keep the plan as maybe a backbone. But then I remember just sitting down and we, we kind of said, well, what, what is happening here now? And we, we kind of began, I think, with the Young at Hearts group uh, as, as a way to kind of s people start getting to know to, to, to know that we were making the film. Um, but it was all about, um, yeah, what are the groups that are active now and what is Knock and Rawley trying to achieve? Because I remember uh, Teresa saying on, on the first day uh, this year, in January, saying about how Knock and Rawley is actually quite an organic place yeah. and I thought oh that's interesting because there's the organic garden but I think what Teresa is saying there is actually it's organic in the sense that somebody might come into one group like Young at Hearts and they might be dancing and they might be singing and then they might find out that actually there's a men's shed they might, um, they might decide that they're going to take part in the ukulele class or they're going to take part in, in an education course yeah. that it's and it's 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 the staff seeing I suppose the the perhaps uh, seeing what way they can support the people coming in but then it's also organic in that people coming in have that opportunity to um, I suppose to see what's happening here and, and yeah. kind of get involved more widely. So And it all kind of branches into each other but it's all connected at the same time. For the premiere then next week, how excited are you about that? Are you nervous though heading into a premiere? Are you excited? I, I'm both. Um, I'm really excited and I know that we had a, basically what we did, because it's collaborative, it was collaborative right through from watching the different edits and w with the editorial team here, um, Teresa and the other staff members. But then we had, a, we had our own community screening when the, the film was about three quarters of the way ready. It wasn't quite there, but just to see like what do people think. Yeah. Oh, I was very nervous that day. I can, uh, what was the reaction to it that day? Um, 
It was great, yeah. Um, You're very modest. <laughs> it, was, it was a total eye opener, actually, just to see. Um, sorry, now, just to. Can I just also jump in? Um, yeah, this is Teresa Normal, Fred. She's Community Development Coordinator here at Knock and Rowley. Um, just to say, like, what I hadn't realised about this film um, was that this is Mary's actual first film, you know, full, uh, complete film, and it's been such a, a pleasure actually working with Mary on, I think everyone would say the same, and Grey Heron Media, um, because the day of the screening was such an eye-opener. Like, obviously, our um, our manager we're, we was leaving at the time, and I'd say after watching that film, she probably didn't want to leave because oh. it was just it was just so... Was it more than what you expected? It was absolutely... I was almost close to tears. I'm looking at Anne Murphy there. I was I was wiping the tears away from my eyes. I was. I just couldn't believe uh, how um, much, let's say, getting involved in, in an activity um, meant to some of the people that were coming in and overlaps. I felt very proud of my colleagues. Do you know the childcare staff? It was wonderful to see the childcare staff. I know Anne Murphy's there as well. Um, just to see all the different staff. Um, you know, like, we're all blind to... You, you know, you work in yeah. silos, even though it's organic. You're not seeing what, let's say, Mary's doing all the time, even though we do, because she does everything. Um, but, um, <laughs> you know, you mightn't see what the other staff are doing because you're you're kind of running. Yeah. You know, the work is... So really, to get that overview of what's being done just here. brilliant. Yeah. And it was just, like, I mean, I suppose what Mary is talking about there when she put in the plan, like, life not can really changes. Obviously, it's 2023. We have a completely different landscape. We're coming out of COVID. We have lots of Ukrainian people um, using the service. We have um, a number of Syrian families have moved. Do you know, we have our existing groups, like we have the men's shade, but like the, the landscape of community development work has completely changed. And yeah. I really think that Mary's um, film and Grey Heron's film really um, showcases that. Yeah. So. Let's talk to some of the people involved in the film. Dinny is here. I'm going to talk to Dinny in a minute because he's going to sing us out. But uh, Mike is here as well. And Mary spoke to us about Young at Heart. And Mike is team leader of Young of Heart. Morning, Mike. Morning. Tell me about Young at Heart. It's uh, a group that came together um, about a year ago, I think, Teresa, more, a bit more than that. And uh, Teresa had the idea, and she kind of put it to me, and we sat down and discussed what we'd like to do. It was after COVID as well, too. Yeah. And a lot of people were kind of down and fed up, including us elderly people, our senior citizens, or whatever we might like to be called. You're not a day over 40, Mike. <laughs> Only just doubled in a bit now. <laughs> anyway, so we decided in and we had a chat with Tracy in there and Tracy was interested and gave us full support and she just stood up to the table and says, let's go for it, Mike, and off we went. And what do you do then? It's singing, a group you coming together? Group. We, we bring in, the, the people come in then and we started off with community singing, which we thought would be an idea, you know, yeah. to sing a couple of songs after COVID and get, get to know each other. So we printed out uh, books and songs and we started singing. Then we went on to the dancing and we started learning dance. A lot of people weren't able to dance and we learned them new dancing. What kind of dancing? Uh, line dancing and social dancing, like you would do waltz, you know, traditional waltzes and quick steps and bit of and What all, was your favourite? My favourite is Chanos, but like, uh, it's... Um, it's a kind of a, a difficult thing enough to do is at it? times, you know what I mean? But uh, I like the line dance and it's easier to, it's more yeah. of a slower step and it's easier to think. And we learned a lot of people in who weren't able to dance, they got took into dancing and then we, we had poetry from different people and 
we had storytelling, we had everything and anything, you know. That, that and when does Young at Hearts meet then, for anyone maybe who's uh, listening to this thinking, that, that's down my street now, I'd like yes. a bit of that. Well, we meet every Wednesday at 12 o'clock, 12 o'clock to 2, and today is our first Wednesday back after the summer break. Oh, there'll be a lot of singing so today. There could be a lot of singing. <laughs> a lot, probably a lot of talking, maybe, about the film. What harm. Of course, another big uh, element of Knock and Rally here, of course, is its amazing childcare centre. And Anne Murphy is over that, and she joins me here now. Anne, good morning to you. Good morning. Tell me about the childcare. How many kids do you have under your care, kind of, here at the moment? Uh, we have about 100 or more children. Um, yeah, it's a huge number. Um, and we'd have about 24 or 5 staff. Um, working within the childcare field. And it's, of course, a very popular uh, childcare option, I think, for families around, because we know the difficulties a lot of families have, not just in sourcing childcare, but, but trying to, to pay for it as well, because financially it, it can be a huge cost. And you've certainly made great efforts here at Knock and Raleigh to try and address that. Yes, um, there are a number of schemes that uh, support the costs for parents, that's the ECC, free, the free childcare scheme, and also the NCS, the National Childcare Scheme. And we would work with the parents and if we see a loop or an area where they could um, bring down their childcare bill, we will let them know how we can facilitate them around bringing down their childcare bill. So we do our best to make it um, as um, feasible for parents as yeah. possible. Well done. Well done, and keep up the good work. Uh, just before I go to Dan, because we're just running out of time, Teresa, I might ask you about the premiere itself. I know it's on in the Excel next Tuesday. There's only kind of a few tickets left for it, but uh, tell us the when and the where, what time. Um, so it's 7 o'clock um, next Tuesday, the 12th of September. Um, tickets are flying out the door. I think we're going to have to have another screening, or, um, and if that's the case, that's fine. I would say to people who are listening and have a curiosity, contact the centre, and we'll put them either if they, we don't have tickets we'll put them on a waiting list and if people if there was a, enough interest we could kind of look at another option yeah because uh, what's the plan then after the premiere it'll be available then on the cork um the channel then isn't it and online is that right mary yeah so it'll be broadcast um on cork community tv and at that point then it will be made available here to the Nakanoli community to do with, as they wish, put it on the website or whatever, yeah. whatever you wish. So. It'll be amazing to look back on, I think, maybe in 10, 20 years, I mean, it'll be amazing yes. to look back on, won't it? Oh, definitely. It's a snapshot. And just to say that I suppose Nakanoli has a number of um, different, um, do you know, different videos, but I suppose this is, uh, this is our one. Yeah. So it's our place. That's, yeah, so, and it's, um, yeah, it's just, it's really, we're very excited. And, you sh and so you should be. You should be very proud of everything you've achieved here. And anyone who's looking for maybe more information on the services available here, how to get in contact, how can they do that? I am 062. Five two six eight eight. Um, and um, yeah, we would just say we have an open door policy. We might not always be able to see the person there and then, but somebody will speak. And I suppose again, when what people will see in the film is, you know, it is very much kind of, uh, you know, dropping. We're welcoming and um, supportive. We'll meet people where they're at, and we will we will support people, young and old. What you know, just come to the the centre. I suppose. Okay. Uh, one of the the most interesting people I met maybe this morning is Dinny Fran and Dinny's going to sing us out because Dinny didn't sing a song at all well not to people Dinny is that right you sang to yourself but uh, he joined Young at Hearts and now he's travelling all over the place singing in front of crowds and he's, he's also features in the documentary as well that you can see at the Excel and he's going to sing us out what are you going to sing for us Dinny? Will you go or let's he go? Whenever you're ready off you go Dinny
this morning and uh, we wish everybody there the very very best need of lovely memories of broadcasting from Knock and Raleigh over the years and uh, particularly lovely memories of the late uh, sister Joan Madden as well news and information is coming up Tip today with Fran Curry with Slattery's Garage Puck On you can't beat experience with over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans we like to call ourselves the experts call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie welcome back to the final hour of Tip Today just to remind you that we will be talking about gardening towards the end of the programme Ulta Nesbitt uh, will join us and if you have a gardening query, will you log it with us, please? 083 311 Still getting lots in about the wolf tones. And Pat just told you there next uh, year they are taking on um, the Three Arena in Dublin to celebrate 60 years on the road. Tammy was on to say good morning, friend. To be honest, I'm annoyed about the whole saga around the, the wolf tones because we're the only country in the world that are not proud of our country. We're too busy conforming to every other country. I was reared in a house that played Jim Reeves alongside the Wolf Tones and I had the pleasure of meeting Tommy Byrne years ago when they played in Semple Stadium. I know all the words of their songs and it never made me a murderer or a bomber. And yes, we had lots of innocent people killed in our country, but not all killed by the IRA, other people involved as well. Uh, we have Ukrainian people in our country and now, and even though there's war going on there, they're very proud of their country. It's time that we copped on to ourselves and got over what will the neighbours think syndrome. And uh, that's in from Tammy, who says, rant over. <laughs> All right. That's allowed. That's allowed, uh, Tammy. And lots more in on that as well. And I'm sure it's something we will get back to. But right now, it's time for the Gardaí to keep us up to date on crime and detection right around uh, the county. And I'm glad to be joined now by Sergeant uh, Margaret Kelly, who is Sergeant in charge of Clonmel Garda Station. Good morning to you, Margaret. Good morning, Fran. Good to talk to you today. I know you want to acknowledge, Margaret, the two uh, tragedies that occurred in uh, the county over the last uh, couple of weeks. That's right. Look, Fran, I suppose it's been widely spoken about in the last 10 days or so. So I'm just going to mention briefly the two road traffic collisions that occurred in Clonmel and Cashel. And we again offer our condolences to the family, the friends, the schools and the wider communities that are going through this unimaginable grief. It's caused uh, a huge outpouring of grief nationally and our communities have come together to support each other. We'll continue to liaise and support everyone involved and it has been acknowledged that it has been a really very difficult time and continues to be a very difficult time for um, the families and friends of those involved. So our investigations are continuing into both those collisions. We discussed uh, all of it in in great detail over the course of last week, uh, Margaret, but a lot of people acknowledging the work of the Gardaí and all the frontline services as well. I don't know how you do your job, Margaret, because you... up out at these kind of 
uh, tragedies and events and it, it must be difficult to sort of remain professional in those situations when you see such horror, you know? That, look, and, and that is that is true, but I, I we're always surprised about how well our people and the other emergency services, which we couldn't work without, mm. uh, the fire service, the ambulance and, you know, uh, Tipperary County Council are oh. always on hand to, to help. So uh, we really do work together and it is a very professional and, you know, I mean, the, the people are great there at those very difficult scenes. Certainly very difficult indeed. All right then, to move on, Margaret, there was a serious incident that occurred in, in Clonmel. Will you tell us about that? Yes, so in the early hours of Monday, the 4th of September, so just Monday gone, in the incident, it happened around uh, half 12 at night, so just after midnight on Monday, the 4th, a vehicle was stopped from exiting Tesco car park there off the inner relief road, the N24 in Clonmel, by four males who then surrounded the vehicle the male suspects gained access to the car and put the driver under duress to drive them around the town, so towards the Prior Park, Queen Street area of the town. The driver of the car was then assaulted inside the car before the suspects fled the scene on foot, proceeding in the direction of the Cashel Road in Clonmel. The four suspects are all believed to be in their mid, uh, mid-teens and may have been seen on foot in the area of the Inner Relief Road or the Bypass in Clonmel or in around the Queen Street Cattle Road areas between midnight and 1.30am on the morning, uh, last Monday morning. So we're appealing basically to anybody who may have seen these males or anyone suspicious uh, who may be linked to the incident. Similarly, any drivers that have had uh, passing through that area around that time, the early hours of Monday morning with dash cam footage, we'd be really interested in speaking with them. If anyone has any information, they can contact us directly here at Clonmel Garda Station on 0526177640. Alternatively, they can phone the Garda Confidential Line, which is a free phone number, 1-800-666-111. So we right. would love to hear from somebody. You're, you're obviously taking that incident very seriously, uh, Margaret. It is yeah. a very serious yeah. incident, Fran, yeah. and our detective units here are investigating that at the moment. All right, if we move to Thurlis then, and some burglaries. That's right. The Guardian Thurlis have arrested a man in his 30s in their investigation into burglaries and criminal damage incident to properties that occurred in the Thurlis area in the middle of August. The man was disturbed at one of the burglaries and fled a house in Thurlis on the 14th of August. So when he was stopped and searched, the man was found to have property on him which related to one of the houses and he was arrested, detained, charged and brought before the courts in Nina and he's currently remanded in custody on those matters. Now, your colleagues have been on a patrol in Thurlistown. The result of that, Margaret? So on the 26th of August, the Gardaí in Thurlistown saw a car driving and acting erratically. It went down a one-way street the wrong way. The Gardaí activated their blue lights to stop the car, but it continued on. The Gardaí saw the driver swap seats with the passenger while the car was in motion, and it continued to drive until stopping some metres away. But both males failed the roadside breath test and both were arrested and conveyed to Thurlis Garda Station where samples were taken. So investigations continue to ongoing in that um, incident. Public order uh, offence as well? 
That's right. The 22nd of August, Thurlis Gardy arrested a man in his 30s for public order. That was in around the train station area. When he was searched, he was found to be in possession of what Gardy believed to be a controlled drug. He's since been charged to court and um, to answer those matters. Now, Operation Slowdown, of course, last uh, Monday, and there were some results from that as well, Margaret. That's right. So Operation Slowdown, as everyone knows, is a speed enforcement and that was conducted on the motorway on the M8 by our roads policing units up in Thurlis and a car was detected travelling at 162 kilometres per hour. Um, and obviously on the motorway that's a 120 kilometre speed zone so the car was stopped. There was a smell of drugs coming from inside the car and a drug wipe test was performed and that tested, that resulted positive for cannabis. The young driver was arrested and conveyed to Thurlis Garda station for further samples and he was charged with dangerous driving. So once the results come back from the Medical Bureau of Road Safety, it, we could expect further charges to follow. So right. look, I suppose the message out there, yeah. never, ever drink and drive or drive under the influence of any substances. Right, 162 and 120, wow. wow. Yeah. Uh, let us move to care and uh, care, your colleagues in care, some practical advice around road safety at schools. And uh, it's very right. timely, Margaret, isn't it? Yes, and I suppose, look, we can apply this right around the county. With all the schools are back now, we'd like to remind all parents and guardians or anybody involved in bringing children to and from school of the need to be aware of the various steps that they can do when making sure your children are safe. So advise your child to wear a safety belt if they're travelling on the school bus if there's a problem with the belts on the bus let the driver know they should always be seated and um, on the bus when the bus is moving and the belts properly worn just to keep them safe so for motors themselves if they could slow down around schools especially at drop off or collection times but also during the day remembering that there are staggered leaving times for the first month in a lot of primary schools for the newest pupils so if you're dropping your children to school, please be aware of the risks as children get out of cars and move across car parks and always park uh, considerately. And don't abandon your car as close as you can to the school. Park where it's actually safe and walk the short distance to the school. And that's always nearly been a problem, generally speaking, in September with schools experiencing problems with people trying to park right next to the door. Look, um, uh, the children are mm. more than happy to walk the short distance where it's safe to do so. Mm. If they're heading out walking or cycling, you have some advice for them as well, Margaret. That's right. And look, I mean, yeah. we're experiencing fantastic weather at the moment. They should be reminded to wear helmets when cycling and high-vis vests every time they go out walking on the roads. That would be minimum to keep them safe, really. Sure. To the Tipperary Town District uh, then, and a caravan taken pretty close to me there, Carhoo area of Dundrum. Yes, uh, at about 6.30pm on the 23rd of August, a caravan was stolen from the Carhoo area of Dundrum. The caravan is a swift model and the Gardaí in Tiptown are appealing for information in respect to that theft, if anyone sees it, or indeed did see it travelling. I mean, there is there is a lot of uh, traffic on mm. the road. People are finishing up their holidays and that. But if anyone saw that swift model caravan 
we'd love to hear from them. Oh, it's fairly brazen theft indeed. Uh, a van was broken into, Margaret. That's right. In around 2.30am on the 24th of August, a van which was parked in the yard of an industrial premises on the Link Road in Tip Town was broken into and electrical tools were stolen from the van. We'd love to hear from anybody who knows anything about that to mm. make contact with Tip Town Gardaí. That's becoming very common, Margaret. It, it, it's like these vans are targeted in some way as well, you know? Yeah, and yeah. I suppose those electrical tools, they're they are so expensive. I mean, they're people's yeah. livelihoods in the back of a van and uh, the very the very tools that they work with every day. I mean, it's devastating for them uh, once they're gone and the cost of, re- of replacing them is, is absolutely for, massive. For sure, yeah. A bike was taken as well. A stolen bicycle, yeah, between um, 7 p.m. on the 24th and 7 p.m. on the 25th of August. A lady's bicycle was stolen from the front garden of her house in the Pierce Park area of Tiptown. The bicycle is bright blue in colour and Tipperary Town Gardaí are appealing for information. If anyone sees it or knows about the theft or seen a bright blue lady's bike abandoned anywhere, please contact them in Tipperary Town. What happened to the car on uh, Monastery Road? So overnight on the, 20, uh, the 29th into the 30th of August, a rear window was broken in a car which was parked on the Monastery Road in Tiptown. The Guardian Tiptown are appealing for anyone who saw anything suspicious. Look, I suppose we're, we're constantly asking people to make sure their cars are yeah. locked and everything. In this instance, um, there was they broke into the car, so we'd like to hear from anyone who may have seen anything there overnight the 29th into the 30th on Monastery Road, Tiptown. To the Banja Road then? More tools stolen here, Fran. So between 12 noon on the 25th and 9.30am on the 28th, that over those few periods of days uh, in August, an industrial unit was broken into on the Bansha Road of Tiptown. A substantial quantity of power tools were stolen in this break-in. So Tiptown Gardaí are appealing for information in particular we're appealing for people who are working in the building trade. They may have been offered power mm. tools for sale in unusual circumstances, so please make contact with us if that refers to you. Right, a car was damaged, I think, uh, as well. That's right. Another car here overnight, the 28th into the 29th of August, this time at Bank Place in Tiptown. A car was damaged um, in the car park there and the Guardi are appealing for information. So if you were in around that area overnight, the 28th and the 29th, and you saw anyone acting suspicious, they'd love to hear from you. Right, and a car stolen as well, Margaret. That's right. Lastly, in Tiptown, they're investigating an incident from overnight the 29th into the 30th of August, where a car was stolen from the O'Connell Road area of Tiptown. It was subsequently recovered in Kilmallock area of County Limerick and has been technically examined, but their investigations are ongoing there around the theft of that car. If we move to Nina, then you have some good news for us on those uh, disorder incidents that we heard about during the summer. That's right. So the Gardaí from Nina District, they are continuing to investigate a number of violent disorder incidents that occurred over the summer. And I can report, having spoken to Detective Sergeant Declan O'Carroll, that they are following up with arrests. A man has been arrested and detained on the 31st of August on suspicion of violent disorder for an incident that occurred in June uh, of this year. The man was later charged to court with two assaults. 
in relation to the incident and a file is being forwarded to the DPP in relation to the violent disorder aspect. So good work continuing there on those investigations, Fran. Fair play indeed. And we're hearing about another suspected assault as well, Silver Street this time, Margaret. That's right. Yeah. They, they're investigating a, an assault that occurred on Silver Street just before midnight on the 2nd of September and appealing for anyone who may have witnessed the incident. A man was brought to hospital as a result and CCTV is being gathered around the incident and investigations are continuing. So, look, I mean, if anybody knows anything, please mm-hmm. contact them in Nina Garda Station. All right. And a burglary in the town as well. A burglary occurred in a house at St. Patrick's Terrace, Nina, between the 24th and the 25th of August. That was a Thursday into a Friday. Access was gained into the house and items stolen. Again, they're appealing for witnesses there. Now, almost every time we speak, Margaret, we speak about some of these deception-type offences, and this week is no different. Will you tell me what what happened? So, uh, you're right, Fran, these deceptions keep getting um, coming up week in, week out, and there has been a deception-type offence reported at Nina Garda Station on this occasion the injured party responded to what appeared to be an automated message regarding an Amazon purchase, which turned out to be fraudulent and led to monies being siphoned from that person's account. So members of the public are asked to be very wary of this type of fraud. We all do a lot of online shopping and this is kind of like a trawling exercise. So maybe you don't do shopping with Amazon, but I certainly do, Fran. Mm, So if I got the message, I could be duped. So double check everything and really be very careful. Mm. In another case, a man was deceived into giving his details after he got a call from an individual uh, purporting to be from a company that he had dealings with. So the man provided further details and uh, was subject to a fraud. So Yeah, and uh, again, just to... To add to that, Margaret, it's becoming more sophisticated. I was nearly taken in myself a couple of weeks ago. Um, it, it's very easy to happen, you know. It, it is, and I suppose we just have to be super vigilant. Yeah. If yeah. if you, it, it's really best to double check everything, and um, you know, there with with Revolut accounts and with different bank, yeah. you know, online yeah. bank accounts with different apps and things like that. People are, uh, I know myself getting a lot of phone calls, people are getting way more suspicious, even about legitimate mm. um, transactions and requests from banks. But I, I would prefer that than to be at the loss. That's for sure. Some drink and drug driving offences as well. That's right. Drink and drug driving arrests were made across the district in Nina in the last week with arrests for both offences. And checkpoints will continue throughout the district relating to Operation Lifesaver offences. And we talk about them a a lot here on the show. Theft from shop incidents have increased in Nina recently with a number occurring, but... Uh, Detective Sergeant O'Carroll assures us that they're following a definite line of inquiry in many of those thefts and encouraging shop owners to be ever vigilant. Margaret, always good to talk to you and thanks so much for your time today. Thank you. Good morning to you, Thank Margaret. You. Bye-bye. That's uh, Sergeant uh, Margaret Kelly there, who's Sergeant in charge of Clonmel Garda Station, 1800 um, We were discussing road safety and um, the measures that uh, the Minister, uh, Helen McEntee, is about to uh, bring in to, well, to do something about it, I suppose. Uh, Austin was on to us, though, and he said 
It's an interesting one. He said, driving, surely the simple solution is to encourage all drivers to get cameras in their cars and submit videos of dangerous driving to dedicated teams of Gardaí at HQ. They could send in examples of overtaking on bends, speeding, drivers on phones, lack of use of indicators, uh, no need for masses of Gardaí on the ground and simple and effective deterrent as bad drivers wouldn't know what car has a view cam or a dash cam. That's an interesting take uh, for sure and thank you for that Austin. Um, Jer was on earlier on as well. Where did I find this? Because she certainly is uh, making a point that I'd like to make myself and I can't find it now but I know that she was talking about the um, Dundrum Cashel Road a lot of really, really inappropriate driving uh, going on on that road, particularly in the morning. Some crazy stuff happening in terms of uh, cars overtaking. And and, uh, and she also went on to speak about the, the Cashel Rose Green Clown Mill Road, which again, I mean, I saw some last Monday morning. It was incredible. A guy on a motorcycle passed me just outside of uh, Rose Green on a, a white line, a, a continuous white line. And it was like something you'd see in one of these these speed movies or something. I mean, I don't know how he managed to stay on the bike with the way that he was just going on, you know. So particularly early mornings on that particular run, Dundrum, Cashel, Rose Green, uh, into Clan Mill. Some really strange stuff going on there, you know. So thanks for that, Jaron. I'm sorry I lost your text, but I think that was the general summation of what it was you were saying to us. Um, we'll take a break. Back with more in just a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Now, just let me remind you again, uh, gardening uh, towards the end of the programme. So gardening queries, please, 083-311-3311. Now, this month on Tipperary's Hidden History, Dr. Connor Reedy journeys through the extraordinary life of Anne Daly, a little girl who left uh, Tipperary in the 1860s and went on to shape the landscape of healthcare and education in Australia and uh, discover her unwavering commitment, visionary leadership and enduring legacy that uh, continues to inspire generations. nuns have a long and storied history of venturing abroad, leaving an indelible mark on various corners of the world. Their journeys often intertwined faith, compassion and a commitment to serving communities in need. In the 19th century, Irish nuns played a pivotal role in establishing schools, orphanages and hospitals in the far reaches of Australia and New Zealand. This month on Tipperary's Hidden History, we embark on a journey through the extraordinary life of Anne Daly, who didn't leave Ireland as a nun, but rather as a four- or five-year-old girl. Anne became renowned as Mother Mary Birchman's Daly, a visionary pioneer whose legacy shaped Australia's healthcare and education landscape. Born on the 28th of May, 1860, in Tipperary, she was the ninth child of John Daly, a skilled blacksmith, 
and Mary Cleary. The Daly family's fate took a significant turn around 1865 when they set sail for the shores of New South Wales, Australia, eventually settling near Braidwood. However, tragedy loomed on the 4th of March 1867 when Anne's father, John Daly, passed away. Anne's educational journey began within the nurturing confines of her family home, where dedicated tutors provided her with a solid foundation of knowledge. Her thirst for learning knew no bounds, and as soon as she reached the suitable age, she sought opportunities with the Department of Public Instruction in Australia. In May 1877, she successfully secured a position as an assistant at Braidwood Catholic School, marking the commencement of her illustrious teaching career. Her dedication and passion for education led her to undergo further training, eventually leading her to Newtown Girls' School, Grafton Primary School and St Mary's Cathedral Girls' School in Sydney. At St Mary's, under the guidance of the Sisters of Charity, Anne Daly honed her teaching skills and garnered invaluable experience. In a pivotal moment in her life, in May 1881, Anne made a profound decision that would reshape her future. She joined the Sisters of Charity at St Vincent's Convent in Potts Point, adopting the name Sister Mary Birchman's. Remarkably, her commitment to education persisted even within the new spiritual calling she had embraced. Throughout this transformative period, she continued teaching in St Mary's, nurturing her students' minds and her own spiritual journey. The year 1888 brought a new chapter in the life of Sister Birchman's, as she was called to a higher purpose. She was appointed to lead the first foundation of her order in Melbourne, a testament to her exceptional leadership qualities. On the 21st of January 1889, she took charge of St. Patrick's School on Victoria Parade, Melbourne, where she would soon leave an indelible mark. The school had been built by the late Dean Donaghy, a clergyman and close friend of Sister Birchman's. Under her tutelage, the school flourished, witnessing a remarkable threefold increase in the number of students. Within two years of her arrival, the wooden tenement was replaced by a two-storey brick structure. By 1892, Sister Birchman's had risen to the esteemed position of the Superior of the Sisters of Charity in Melbourne. In this role, she took on the significant responsibility of overseeing not only St. Patrick's, but also four other primary schools that had been established by the Sisters between 1891 and 1897. However, Sister Birchman's unwavering commitment to education was not her sole calling. During her visits to the impoverished sick in Melbourne's inner city, she recognised a pressing need for a hospital operated by the sisters, akin to St Vincent's in Sydney. This realisation led to the establishment, albeit temporarily, of the first St Vincent's Hospital in 1893, housed in a modest, low-roofed and old-fashioned boarding house at 3 Albert Terrace, she assumed the role of rectress, where her responsibilities extended beyond preparing young trainee nurses for examinations to arranging their practical training. Through relentless efforts and a fundraising campaign that raised £10,000, she meticulously planned the new hospital, which would eventually open its doors in 1905. St Vincent's Hospital in Melbourne had humble beginnings, but Sister Birchman's and her sister nuns would gradually enlarge the facility and turn it into one of the most efficiently conducted hospitals in continental Australia. When it opened in 1893, St Vincent's had seven beds. 
During the following years, it expanded to 120 beds by 1905. During those early years, between 1893 and approximately 1905, some 37,006 inpatients and 337,217 outpatients were treated at the hospital. This period also marked the relocation of what became known as the Catholic Ladies' College in Grey Street in East Melbourne. In the year 1910, Mother Birchman's achieved a significant milestone by negotiating the establishment of St Vincent's Clinical School in collaboration with the University of Melbourne. This transformative move aimed to enhance the efficiency of the hospital. The same year saw her embark on a remarkable journey to Europe, where she immersed herself in the latest developments in hospital administration. Her visionary outlook knew no bounds, and three years later she added another feather to her cap. A private hospital named Mount St. Elvins, established in 1913 on the site of a disused church. This facility emerged because, essentially, she saw that there was a market for private work in the health sector. St. Evans went on to become one of the most successful institutions in Melbourne. In keeping with her ingenuity, one of the last things she did in Melbourne was to purchase the site on which a nurse's home would eventually be built at St. Evans. In 1911, Mother Birchman's was actively involved in the initiation of the beatification process for Mother Mary Aikenhead, the founder of the Irish Sisters of Charity. It was from this order that the Australian congregation had its roots, stemming from its mission established in 1838. The year 1920 marked a significant turning point in Mother Birchman's life. She was elected Superior General of the Australian Congregation, a role that would see her return to take up residence in Sydney with expanded responsibilities. In this prestigious position, she would oversee the establishment of a hospital in Queensland in 1920, followed by the founding of two additional hospitals in New South Wales, Lismore in 1921 and Bathurst in 1922. Furthermore, she played a pivotal role in facilitating the establishment of a clinical school at St Vincent's Hospital in Sydney. She established convents at Clifton Hill in Melbourne and at St Lewisham. She put plans in place for the building of a novitiate at Lane Cove in Sydney, where she purchased 29 acres. Sadly, on the 4th of March 1924, after 42 years in the religious life, Mother Mary Birchman's Daly passed away at St Vincent's Hospital in Sydney after bravely battling a two-month illness. Her final resting place is at Rockwood Cemetery in Sydney, a site that echoes the profound impact that she had on Australian healthcare and education. The obituaries in the Australian national press for the former little girl from Tipperary were plentiful and lavish in their praise. The Freeman's Journal of Sydney described the late Superior General of the Sisters of Charity of Australia as one, and I quote, whose life was rich in well-doing and who is widely mourned. Her work was well known in Australia and Victoria and New South Wales and they have particular reason to cherish her memory. Her enthusiasm and her charm of manner made her popular with a large circle of admirers who appreciated her big plans and the wonderful gift of organisation which she possessed." Unquote. The Albury Banner and Wodonga Express newspaper of New South Wales proclaimed that Mother Birchman's possessed, and I quote, an incessant energy tact and an exceptional charm of manner. A large congregation attended her funeral at St. Patrick's Cathedral in Melbourne in March 1924. The Archbishop of Melbourne, Dr. Mannix, presided over the Requiem Mass. 
the various communities of the Sisters of Charity, including St. Vincent's Hospital and the Catholic Ladies College of East Melbourne, as well as many other sisterhoods were all represented in large numbers. Many members of the Christian Brothers community were also present. The medical, surgical and nursing staff of St. Vincent's Hospital were also present in huge numbers. The list of clergy reads like a great and good of the hierarchy in that part of Australia. The Archbishop of Sydney, the Archbishop of Adelaide, the Bishop of Maitland, the Bishop of Arndale, the Bishop of Lismore, the Bishop of Rockhampton, the Bishop of Bendigo, the Bishop of Cairns, the Bishop of Hayden, the Coadjutor Archbishop of Hobart, the Bishop-elect of Goulburn, the Superior of the Dominicans, the Rector of Xavier College, the Rector of Newman College, the Provincial of the Jesuits, deacons, subdeacons, some 70 priests, parochial and regular, all formed the choir. The Passionist Fathers were represented, as were the Marist Brothers. All of this was an indication of the high standing of Mother Birchman's in the Catholic Church in Australia at that time. However, the presence of so many from the medical and educational communities also indicated the enormous respect that she held among these professions and in civil society generally. Her remains were taken to Rookwood Cemetery behind a procession of some 160 nuns representing various communities. Each one carried a lighted candle. The principal mourners were her brother, John Daly, and her sisters, also both nuns, Mother Alphonse of Melbourne and Sister Bede of Auburn. Mother Birchman's enduring legacy continues to inspire and resonate. Commemorated by a bronze bust crafted by Paul Montford, unveiled in August 1935. At this poignant ceremony, heartfelt tributes were paid to her vision, intuition, courage and charm. Sir Thomas Dunhill aptly described her as, and I quote, unique in her day and generation, or in any day and generation, unquote. Her memory endures through the Birchman's Daily Wing of St. Vincent's, inaugurated in October 1960, a lasting testament to her enduring influence on the fields of health care and education in Australia. Mother Mary Birchman's Daily's life was a testament to dedication, vision and a deep commitment to the betterment of society, a legacy that continues to inspire today. What was it about the woman who started life as a child emigrant from Tipperary that allowed her to rise to national prominence as a nun in late 19th and early 20th century Australia? Among some of the most persistent accounts of Mother Mary Birchman's daily were several important characteristics that ensure that certain people stand out from the crowd. Geniality, strong administrative ability and zeal. One review published in the days after her death claimed that these things gained her scores of friends outside her immediate community. Irish nuns abroad have exemplified the values of compassion, resilience and selflessness. Their contributions to education, health care and social justice have left a lasting legacy, demonstrating the profound impact that faith-driven individuals can have on the world. Their stories continue to inspire future generations to carry forward their mission of serving humanity. Earlier this year, in a BBC radio documentary series, the Irish broadcaster Olivia O'Leary opined, and I quote, Irish Catholic nuns were once almost as influential as the state. They ran most of the hospitals, were almost solely responsible for the secondary education of girls, and sent out an army of missionary sisters who helped to build an Irish Roman Catholic empire abroad." Unquote. One thing is for sure, 
Little Anne Daly's contribution to this paradigm should not be understated, and her story should no longer remain buried in Tipperary's hidden history. Tipperary's hidden history. Uh, Emma just reminded me um, a couple of days ago, in fact, that uh, Connor is on air with us doing hidden histories for five years, for five years uh, at this uh, stage, and he's been doing a remarkable job. I'm sure you will agree. All right, we'll take a break. When we come back, we'll talk gardening. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter, or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Big response uh, to the announcement uh, that uh, Shami Callanan is uh, retiring from uh, Tipperary Hurling. Uh, Brian Horgan was on to me uh, about it. Brian, of course, former. Uh, Tipperary Hurler himself, now a referee, saying one of the greatest of all time. Uh, Shane Brophy describes it beautifully on uh, Twitter um, over the last hour. He says uh, Seamus Callanan is on the Tipperary Mount Rushmore of inside forwards, uh, joining Jimmy Doyle, Nicky English and Owen Kelly as well. So it's a lovely uh, description there, Stephen Gleeson, uh, reminding us uh, that uh, Shamey hit uh, 40. Uh, championship uh, goals and uh, much more as well and uh, Shane Stapleton uh, on Twitter as well reflecting on uh, Shamey retiring again after 16 seasons and again 40 championship goals so uh, a great servant of Tipperary Hurling I will, I'm sure you will agree let us talk uh, gardening and I'm delighted to be joined as usual now by Elton Nesbitt good morning to you Elton Good morning, Fran. Good to talk to you today. I suppose we should be looking to um, uh, planting for spring, Alton. Yeah, this is a great time. Yeah, I mean, it's, the weather has just been fantastic in the last couple of days, even, and and there's been really great display of of, of late summer uh, into the autumn uh, colour, especially with the begonias and things like that, and and it looks really well. But really, we should be thinking about now is really for the springtime, and there's lots of colour that you can have. Uh, right through, let's say, January, February, March, but going right, right into into late spring. So what we have, uh, and this great selection of is um, uh, uh, spring bulbs, and I think they're probably one of the easiest things to grow because you plant them once, they keep coming every year, and they multiply, and 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 you can lift and divide them every every number of years, so you can actually just uh, uh, spread the the colour right through the whole garden. Um, now, what we have is, for sure, everybody knows, of course, is, is the snowdrops. And the snowdrops are probably one of the first things to come into flower. And I really love them because, I mean, uh, there's the doldrums of winter, uh, and then you have these lovely um, lovely white flowers emerging um, um, in, in January, February, uh, and March. And you give a great display. Again, with the snowdrops, they're quite easy to grow, but uh, generally it's, it's a good idea to plant five bulbs together to, ha- to have a good display and always kind of plant in, in, in almost a naturalised way. So do them in a staggered row or, or um, in, in, say in drifts um, underneath trees or, or if, if they have shaded areas, they're fantastic because they grow very well on, under shade as well. Things like the um, crocuses are another nice, nice thing to have uh, and the crocuses come in a variety of colours. 
that the lovely blues, the yellows, or even the purple, purple flying crocuses. And they come, once the flowers of the snowdrops tend to fade, you have the lovely crocuses that come into full bloom then as well. And then later on, then, it's lovely to have is the, the daffodils. Mm. And I love the daffodils, especially the, the, the Dutch master daffodils, lovely tall daffodils, very proud type of one, with a lovely large trumpet on it. It's pretty nice yellow, 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 yellow daffodils. Or if you have a very exposed area, I would tend to go for the more dwarf type ones. Things like the lovely um, uh, tete-a-tete daffodils, they're particularly good. And they're almost a, a multi-flowering um, stem that comes out, up on those. So they give a great display. And they're very good for ex- exposed areas, or even to the front of the borders. So they don't, they're not going to block uh, anything else because they're only about a foot high, but would give a great display uh, right through the, the, the spring. Those with the blue muscarii, it's a, a grape hyacinth. Um, and they're lovely to the edge of the border as well. So if you have the yellow and the blue, uh, let's say the yellow of the lovely tetrachetapters and the lovely blue um, uh, mascara, the grape hyacinth, um, at either side, going down along the edge of a pathway is particularly nice. Other things then would be the lovely uh, tulips that will come into flower. And I love the ro- lovely tall tulip. The lovely um, apple dawn tulip is particularly nice. The very, very hardy tulip. And they last for about five years or so. Um, so and they give you a great display within those five years. Again, plant them in, in groups of five, so you get a good display on them as well. And there is the tall, the tall apple-thorn tulips, but then you can go for the more dwarf-type ones towards the front of the borders, and those are, are things like lovely um, uh, dwarf uh, uh, red riding hood daffodil, which is particularly nice. has a lovely kind of variegated striped leaf on it, which is particularly unusual for, for a tulip to have. Um, and again, put them in drifts, or in, 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 in amongst the borders. But before even your, your deciduous trees come into to, uh, leaf, uh, you'll have a fantastic display underneath. Lovely thing as well, I know that, uh, the, there's so many different bulbs, spring mm. bulbs that you can use. There's lovely one called anemone, and the anemones are, are, are particularly good. There's lovely um, one that's in flower now at the moment. You'll see the tall anemones, um, and that's the more herbaceous perennial type one. You'll often have the white or the pink of that um, in full bloom now at the moment. But there's these lovely um, uh, dwarf anemones, little bulbous uh, anemones that are fantastic underneath uh, woodland um, gardens. And to have the anemones with the uh, wild garlic or the lovely bluebells, just a lovely skillia bluebell, which is particularly nice as well. And they're from lovely underneath trees, especially if you have places where it's very dry or, or, or nothing else to grow. Yes. The bluebells will do really, really well and same as the anemones. Other very show, showing type plants, um, what I think are, are quite uh, spectacular looking, are the alliums. And these are the big onion um, type um, uh, flower on them. Lovely purple um, purple or, or mauve color, or even white, you can get them in as well. And these are, are, are particularly good along a pathway. But if you have a thing called a, a, a laburnum bossiae tree, uh, the, the flower at the same time. So they have, they have the lovely golden rain, the laburnum bossiae. And then the lovely alliums planted underneath makes a fantastic display in, in um, late spring, early summer. Very good. Uh, lots of questions in for you as well. Would you ask, Colton, if it's possible to take Rubecchia uh, cuttings now to make uh, new plants? Yeah, with Rubecchia, you actually can, you can take cuttings or you can. What, what I tend to do is lift and divide them. Mm. Uh, because they form quite a large clump, almost nearly a metre in diameter, you can lift and divide them. I, I tend to do that there every five years or so because they do get quite what, massive. What is it exactly? Rebecca is is black-eyed Susie. You see this lovely yellow daisy flower at the moment, 
uh, with lovely black eyes yes, in yes. the centre of it. And they really are fantastic um, for kind of late summer into the autumn. The rebecchias and a thing called verbena are quite good companion plants together, or even the flocks are, are, are quite nice. And, I, and you treat them all the same, really. So you can take cuttings now, almost like almost a root cutting if you if you want to, or even what I tend to do is just lift and divide them um, uh, into late autumn. So once the flowers have faded, cut it right back down to ground level and lift and divide them and and and, and transplant them. Always use a little bit of sulfate or potash just at the base of the plant, just to give them a good boost and a good start. Never plant them too deeply either. Have them kind of sitting proud so that they're not going to get um, waterlogged or anything uh, on the roots. Um, and so they'll, they'll, they'll um, uh, grow quite well for you. A lot of the herbaceous perennials, you can start doing that now, is taking cuttings from them, especially things like you know, the salvias the, um, or even um, the uh, penstemons are quite good to take cuttings from. They grow quite easily. You often see these almost aerial roots that come out of them. And you know, even if you snap, snap them off, and put them into into a compost or into a little pot. They root quite easily for you. Um, and a good, it's great to have to, to extend the flowers from those because the, the splash of yellow through a border is particularly nice because it kind of gives everything a lovely lift. A listener wants to know what to do with an agaphantus that has now gone out of bloom. Yeah, agaphantus. Um, again, um, you can cut back into the flowers. The, flower, the big lovely blue. You don't normally get a blue ball or a, a, white, a white one, um, is to remove the flower stalk right to the very base of, uh, of the plant. So cut that off so that um, it's not putting all its energy into producing seeds. So cut off the, the flower stalk off it. If it has gone quite big, um, let's say if it's, if it's fairly well matches the, the, the root system on it, you can lift and divide that as well now. Um, and that, that will, will encourage it to, to produce more flowers for, for, for next uh, summer. Uh, again, with the agapanthus, a good feed of sulfate of potash or even something with a high potash feed, something like even the tomato feed or that, but it will help, help to, to bring it on. Agapanthus are probably best in containers because the, the, the more um, contained the roots are, the better it flowers. And so they're very good in kind of almost in almost starved soil, even if they're kind of struggling to, to, to grow. It, it forces them to produce loads of, loads of flowers for you. So the more contained the roots, the better. All right. Alyssa says, I bought some beautiful blue mophead hydrangeas last year that I planted in my garden, but I was really disappointed to discover that the plant's flowers are pink this year instead of blue, and there aren't that many of them. Wondering what happened, and is there any way for me to fix it? Yeah, really with, with the mophead hydrangeas, especially the blue ones, it's really planting into an ericaceous compost, um, an acidic soil, and that just um, makes them keep that lovely blue colour um, that, that you want to hold on to. Now, there is a thing called hydrangea colourant as well, which is particularly good to mix through the, the, the compost. So as the plant takes that up, it's almost like an, an, an iron feed, and the plant takes that up, the hydrangea, it turns the pink to blue. It makes a more vibrant blue on it as well, uh, which, which um, any of the acid-loving plants, especially the, the um, hydrangea, the blue hydrangeas, is always feeding with a, a liquid seaweed feed as well. That just encourages good, healthy foliage, much healthier plants plant growth as well and therefore um, and what, you, what you want to do as well is hold on to the stems and foliage as much as possible over the winter months because the frost tends to burn them back down to ground level and all you get then is just all sort of leaves and no flowers so again try and put plant them in, into a container, an ericaceous compost, um, even using the acid uh, slow release fertiliser into it as well uh, and that really, really, really promote much bluer, deeper blue colour uh, for, for your hydrangeas. And always feed, uh, water them then 
with rainwater as well. You don't want any any um, uh, lime getting getting into the soil. So use rainwater as much as possible. There's a final one, if you would, Alton. Uh, Hilda is very proud uh, because she's grown a pepper from seed, but she feels that the pot it's in may not be big enough, and she's wondering, can she put it into a bigger uh, pot? Two small peppers on it, says Hilda. Oh, lovely. Yeah, and peppers are, are lovely uh, to grow because um, they have the tiny little white flower on them. Mm. But uh, again, put them into just a multi-purpose compost is fine, or if you have a John Inley soil-based compost, which is quite good, it doesn't dry out too much. Um, uh, and again, give it a feed with the tomato feed, just to help to boost it on to produce more fl- flowers for you. Some of the bell peppers uh, get quite big. I'm not sure that the, the, um, the bell peppers get quite heavy, so it's, it's good to have a kind of a spit cane just to hold the branches so that they don't snap. Uh, with the weight of the, the, the fruit on it. But with the ordinary uh, chilli peppers or anything like that, um, again, once the flowers start to form, just mist the, the plant. And that actually pollinates them. And so you have a lovely um, uh, pepper to form uh, after that. Um, again, always wash them late in the evening time so you don't get any scorching on the leaves or anything like that. And just uh, feed regularly with, with the tomato feed. Alton, always good to talk to you and happy gardening. Thanks very much indeed, Alton Nesbitt there. Um, let's leave the final word to one of our listeners who said, uh, Fran, I'm driving a minibus every day and the condition of the roads is disgraceful with uh, potholes, etc. People are swerving to avoid these and also a huge danger on the road has to be the ditches. Uh, Michael Haley Ray was correct. No bird is nesting on the hedge on the side of the road. They are higher up and in from the road. It's a huge issue, Fran. The surface of the roads, a disgrace. That's it for me. Emma produced. Stephen's on the way with the time tunnel. And I'll talk to you tomorrow. Look after yourselves, won't you? Bye-bye. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.